The language used by Curtis Sliwa is replete with spoonerisms, malaprops, and fractured phrases, and is not a reflection of the language that you should use in your normal conversations. It is Sliwanics, and a glossary of its words and definitions are posted on wabcradio.com. Hush, hush, mush, mush, mula, shmula. Furniture upstairs rearranged in all the wrong places. Your complexion is your protection. W A B Sliwa. Check this out. On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Sliwa is the politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
Yeah, 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 yeah. It's hot out there, and I'm loving every second of it. Man, I want it to schwitz even more. I love it with my hermetically sealed red sateen jacket, and especially my red wool beret. I know for a lot of you, it's way too much like my wife Nancy. She, like, just melts. But I love that heat. I love it hot. And in fact, I got my Polish air conditioning. I know you're looking at me, Broadway Bill Lee, and you're wondering, what the hell is he talking about? When I put on that red sateen jacket and I zip it up, it hermetically seals in all the cool air. And it's like having a Polish... Icebox. I know for the rest of you, you say later for that, you just want it cool outside. But in the words of Nelly, who, believe it or not, is considered now an old school rapper coming out of North St. Louis. He just sold his library of musical hits for $50 million. Yeah, I know. I know, Broadway Billy. He's all, he's all right. But he ain't worth $50 million, his library. No way, man. That's like, uh, that's like uh, having reading comic books instead of Tolstoy's War and Peace. I think that's a little inflated right there. But this song just really epitomizes what so many of you are feeling out there. And I just want to open it up by saying I've been given an entree to discuss something I've always wanted to discuss. But my complexion is not my protection on this. Why the hell black people can't swim? Now, I know, Broadway Billy, you're a brother from another, and Avery, uh, you're getting ready to go to church in just a few hours at a black Pentecostal church where whatever your reverence says, it's God's truth. But I am reading a column in the old gray lady, the New York Times, written by, let me make sure I get this right, because if I don't get this right, I'm going to lose this job. Mara Gay. When I last looked, she was blacker than you, Broadway Bill Lee, and you, Avery, combined. So this gives me entree. This gives me an option to discuss why it is that black people can't swim. I mean, on days like this, you look at that ocean, and what's the first thing you want to do? Dive in there, right? Doesn't matter whether it's a riptide, undercurrent, whatever. You just want to stay nice and cool. And I always wondered to myself, as great as blacks are in all other kind of athletic endeavors, because we know white boys can't jump, white boys can't dance, white boys can't run. The brothers always seem to outdo them, and the transgenders do it even better. But when it comes to swimming, man, clear out the house. It is rare that you get a brother or a sister who knows what to do in the whole shit. I'm telling you. And I wouldn't have dared touch this story if it hadn't been in the New York Times written by a black woman who goes, we are a society in danger because predominantly in the inner city, we never get taught how to swim. You can't swim in your, uh, in your tub. In your bathroom, and you know, guys like Curtis Lee would talk about a poor man's jacuzzi is taking your socks off and then putting it in the toilet water, which is always cooler, and flushing it over and over and over. Because remember, when your feet are cool, your body is cool. 
Try it out, ladies and gentlemen. I know, look, you got air conditioning. You got all kinds of cooling elements. The quickest way to cool your body off is do it right now. Do it right now as you're listening to me and you're listening to Nelly in the background. Take your socks off. Some of you already are halfway there because you got your sandals on or you got your slippers on. Ease out of your sandals and slippers. Try it right now, April. Go into the little boy's bathroom down the hallway. And then just plop your two dogs that are like hot and howling. And then just start flushing, flushing that that turlet bowl. And I guarantee you, you're going to be cool, calm, and collected. Because that's a poor man's jacuzzi. Try it. I've done it many times in my life. I'll never forget the time we were on Alabama Avenue in East New York. It was a four-story walk-up tenement. It was my uncle Jimmy Scabone living there at the time with my Aunt Lucy. And uh, my, uh, my, uh, no, no, it was my uncle. Yeah, Jimmy Scabone. And it was my cousin Joey. Uh, those were the butchers in the family, and my Aunt Lucy, she loved to go to Aqueduct, the 7th race, afterwards you would get in for free. She never studied the racing form, but she would always pick the winners by the way they were schwitzing. She'd look at the horse, the horse would look at her, and she swore that the horse was talking to her, and she'd always get winners. Meantime, my aunt, Uncle Jimmy Scalvone, he would get all the books, he'd do the analytics, he'd get the racing form. He'd be betting, borrowing money from the bananas. He'd own the vig like you couldn't believe it when he'd be picking up the meat on Atlantic Avenue in the morning at the uh, terminal in downtown Brooklyn, avoiding all the skeevy hookers on one side, but he couldn't pass up the bookies on the other side. He thought he knew what was going down. But all he ever did was owe more and more money and have to work harder and harder. Meantime, I and. My Aunt Lucy would go after the seventh race at Aqueduct. You could get in for free, and she'd pick winner after winner after winner. But you see, I digress here because they were the ones who taught me on a hot, sweltering summer day. Remember, back then in the 60s, uh, not everybody had air conditioning. In fact, air conditioning was considered a luxury. All you had to do, and you can do it right now, just follow me. One, two, three. Take your socks off. Take your hose off. Take your nylons off. Take your feet right out of those slippers or those sandals or those sneakers or whatever you're wearing. Plop them right in the turlet bowl. Make sure the turlet is clean. You may have to use a little janitor and the drum, a little Mr. Clean first. Use a little elbow grease. Make sure that turlet is nice and clean. And once you plop your dogs in, your dogs that are screaming because they're hot. And then you just start flushing. And I'm telling you, you will be so cool, calm, and collected. You will feel like you're in the uh, you're in the uh, Arctic uh, epicenter of the North Pole in the middle of winter, even though the North Pole, as we know, is melting as we speak from global warming and climate change. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Doesn't cost you no money. Remember when we didn't have enough uh, water for a period of time? This went back and they wanted you to conserve water and they told you take one shower a week or put some bricks in your turlet tank, your turlet tank. This way your flush wouldn't end up wasting that much precious water. Remember that? 
Remember how you had to go out and find two or three bricks and put it in the toilet bowl? What do we call that? Uh, you know, the depository for all the water. This way, your flush wouldn't waste that precious water that was coming down from the Mid-Hudson Valley up there where our reservoir system is, our Croton Reservoir System, and so we could save that precious thing that we call water. That they don't have enough of out there in the desert in Vegas. They don't have enough of in Arizona. They don't have enough in the Southwest, which is baking, averaging temperatures of 120 degrees. You look in Phoenix, it's so hot. They're bringing in refrigerated morgues to prepare for an influx in heat-related deaths as the temperatures are soaring above 110 degrees, and they've been that way for the last 20 days. You see the answer in Phoenix? Take your socks off if you're listening out there. Put your feet in the toilet bowl and flush, flush, flush. Uh, brings that temperature of your body straight down. It's like they always say in the winter, when we had really cold winters, but because of global warming, climate change, those days are gone. You would put a nice hat around your head, and no matter what other parts of your body were open to the inclement weather, if your head was hot, your body was hot. In the summertime, if your feet are cool, your body's cool. Take it. Take it from me. That's the poor man's jacuzzi. And I would bet you that a whole bunch of you have tried that. Yeah, I know. You're putting your feet on ice cubes. You're putting your head in an ice box. You sort of close the ice box a little bit. You let you let your head sort of like freeze to the side of the refrigerator. Yeah, I know those tricks. But ain't nothing like putting your hot dogs. Your dogs are, are barking. They're so hot, you drop them in that toilet and you flush, 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 flush. Oh, God, that's Nirvana. And now I got the documentary evidence. The one thing I can never talk about, Broadway Bill Lee and Avery, because it would get you into double trouble. Why black people can't swim. And now there's a whole five-page article in the New York Times written by a black woman. So don't get mad at me. Get mad at A.K.A. Mara Gay. I have no idea if she's gay or straight or whatever. All I know is she's come to the conclusion that black young people were more likely to perish, not necessarily from gun violence, but from drowning. I kid you not. I'll give you all the analytics. And I'm asking myself, why the hell is that? I remember I had a guardian angel, Iron Eagle, on the south side of Chicago. He wanted to be a SEAL, a Navy SEAL. And as you know, one of the naval training bases is right up there in the Great Lakes region. He said he wanted to practice swimming. And he was actually in his tub trying to do an Australian crawl. I said, Iron Eagle, what are you doing? He's going, I'm practicing to be a Navy SEAL. What are you doing in the tub? He goes, I'm practicing the Australian call before I try to do it in Lake Michigan. I said, brother, brother from another planet, I would not go out to that little small beach along Lake Michigan and try to do the Australian call. You are definitely going to sink right to the bottom. And he said to me, no, 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 I think I got it. I think I got it. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I know I got it. The recipe for staying cool, calm, and collected in the hot, sweltering, intensive, oven-like conditions that make you feel like your brain is just frying. Like you could crack an egg, put it on the asphalt, and boom! Got some fried eggs there. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WA. B. Sizzling C. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. That's right. Don't look at me, Broadway Billy, and act like I'm an enemy. I'm just presenting the facts. As presented by Mara Gay in a column in the New York Times of why white Americans who have the means to do so have built private pools and joined exclusive swim clubs. That's why they become swimmers like Ted Kennedy. Whereas their children swam... Entire generations of black Americans and white Americans living in poverty and others were denied the chance to learn a skill that can save lives, can bring joy, and is arguably the birthright of every human being, the right to be able to swim. Now, I'm looking at it right now, and I'm looking at you, Broadway Bill Lee, and I would bet you you can't swim. Why? Because you're a Euro-Asiatic African Black man born here in America, not O.A., an original African, or in Haiti, where they're starting to swim from the island because the violence has gotten so bad, they said, I'd rather swim through 90 miles of shark-infested waters and make it to Lake Worth on the east coast of Florida than stay back where the gangbangers are at war with one another. The police are running for cover and vigilantes are out there shooting at anybody who moves in the streets of Port-au-Prince. But you caused me to digress. Many parents who never learned to swim, swim have struggled to provide that opportunity to their children or pass down their fears around water, continuing the cycle 
of the inability for people like Avery to be able to swim. And I guess what she's trying to say, it's more innate to me to be able to swim than it is for a brother from a mother. I have no idea what the point of her contention is here in the New York Times, but I've been told the New York Times, the old gray lady, with all the news that's fit to print, never makes mistakes. And when it does, it has a whole page of retractions. So retract this. I don't care if you're mad at me, Broadway Billy. I don't care if you're mad at me, Avery. I'm just reporting what the old gray lady says. And it just so happens it's a sister from another planet who wrote this article, huh? Wow, I feel relieved. For so many years, I had this in the back of my head. Should I say it? Should I not say it? Why is it a black man on a basketball court can outjump a white guy? Why is it that a black guy or a black gal can yet generally, generally, and I always outdance a white guy or a white gal, right? Jump, run, dance better, but cannot swim better. Why is that? But I was never permitted to ask that question because, you know, immediately the implication is you're a racist. Yeah, hate black people. No, no, I can tell you, hey, I know it's a bone of contention. But when Woody Harrelson was in that movie, right, with Wesley Snipes, by the way, how many taxes did he owe? $365 million. God bless his soul, Bernard McGurk, who was born in the Monroe Housing Projects. We miss him dearly here at WABC in the heart of the South Bronx, Soundview. That was the same project that Wesley Snipes was born and raised in, the Monroe Housing Projects in the heart of the South Bronx. I would bet you that Bernard... McGurk, the Irishman, knew how to swim, and I would bet you Wesley Snipes did not. You ready to bet some pesos on that? Oh, by the way, news, all those illegal aliens outside of the Roosevelt Hotel who were told no room in the inn, they bum-rushed in tonight. We'll give you an update on that because we're going to take you to the break of dawn, and nobody, I repeat, nobody better be going to sleep. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Mordecai, who's calling from Central Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mordecai. Hey, Curtis. Thanks for having me on. Um, Two nights in a row. I feel special. I just really, you know, I got to ask you, why do do you say toilet like that? It sounds like you're saying turlet. Yeah, it is. It's a turlet. When, it's a toilet. Uh, no, no, turlet, a turlet. You see, I've I'm, never heard of that in my life. Mordecai, I am pronouncing it the way it's been pronounced for decades. You, oh, what, what, what university did you go to? I went to a couple. Yeah, you see, that's it. The moment you get beyond a high school education, they reconfigurate the way you pronounce certain words. When I was a child, I was taught that that turlet bowl is a turlet. And then eventually... How do you, how do you spell it? Turlet. Come on. Don't you know how to spell turlet? T-U-R-L-E-T. Turlet. It's a turlet. It's the porcelain okay. palace. Okay. All right. By the way, Mordecai... If your dogs are hot and they're barking and talking, and if your feet are hot, the rest of your body's hot, you must try a poor man's jacuzzi. Take the socks off, take your sandals or your slippers off, just dunk them in, flush a few times, and your whole body will cool off. 
I'll try that with the dog, too. I'll dunk the dog as well. Please. Please, Mordecai, please. Yeah, it works. <laughs> Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Lou calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Lou. Yes, Curtis. That idea of putting your feet in a toilet bowl and flushing is disgusting. You know how much germs and bacteria are there? And what do you do? You're going to go into bed after that? Are you nuts? Let me ask you a question, Lou. Have you ever had a dog? Yes, I have several. Had, have had. Do the dogs occasionally drink out of the toilet bowl? No, I would not like. I would not let them. No, I, I know. But if given the opportunity, wouldn't they? If you didn't of stop, course they would. Yeah, because oh, okay. it's cool water. All right, all right. Now to that. Now, now we're halfway to to my point of contention. Yeah, but, yeah, but Curtis, please, the germs and the bacteria. Unless you're extremely diligent on, you know, cleaning your toilet with bleach and everything else, and the toilet is not going to be clean. That's why you have the tidy bowl, man. (laughs) The tidy bowl, man, does that. Remember, when we were kids, our job on Saturday, one of our chores in order to get a quarter at the end of the week was to clean the bathroom, right? And as my father would say... As my father would say, the merchant seaman Chester, he'd say, your job is to go pearl diving. And I would say, what the no, hell is... not me, what? Curtis. What, what? I had to Never? wash my father's car. Oh, oh, excuse me. You were too good well, to I'm, clean you know, out the yeah, toilet no, bowl. We were middle class. Oh. We weren't up, but we were middle class. Oh, so who to cleaned earn the... my, uh, to, earn, to earn my uh, pay for the week, I'd have to wash my father's car. And shine his shoes. Okay, but Lou, who cleaned the toilet bowl in your house? Oh, my mother. Oh, you let your mother do it. What? Well, that a, was her job. What a lousy son you are. Your, oh, would you want me to clean the toilet your bowl? Your mother. No, who, I washed the car. Your I mother. Think that was enough. Your mother, who birthed you into this world, God only knows the pains you gave her after birth. And you relegated her to go pearl diving and cleaning the turley pool. And you, oh, it was it was beneath you I to clean no the turley pool. Curtis. I had no choice. For my allowance, I had to polish the shoes and wash the car. Okay. I had no choice. Oh, my God. Of course you had choice. You chose to have your mother clean the turley pool. What? What it would be scratchy out of our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-WABC. What a gold bricker. What a, what a gold bricker Lou was. To let his mother go pearl diving and clean the turlet bowl with the Mr. Clean janitor and a drum. You know, oftentimes you get the tidy bowl. Man, what's that stuff, the cakes that you put on the inside of the turlet? The toilet bowl. You know, it had the little metal configuration that would hold it there. What were those cakes called that they would have on the side of a toilet bowl? They would generally be put in a urinal to sort of try to disinfect it or at least to take that stink out of it. 1-800-848-9222. Former head of the Long Island office of the FBI. She has said publicly that Burke kicked him out of the, out of the case. For example, when they first found the bodies, obviously in any serial killer we all know, the FBI usually sends a profiler, right? Let's do a study on who this guy probably is, right? The hell is that? 
What the hell you doing, Broadway Billy? You're killing my, you're killing my flow here. No, because you're upset because black men can't swim. No, 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 don't get upset at me. You're going to be running uh, to HR and hiding behind their skirts, right, in their aprons. It's in the New York Times. It's written by Mara Gay. And I don't know if she's gay or straight. It has no meaning or significance to me. I just know she's a Euro-Asiatic black woman. So don't blame me. They all look at him. Oh, he's frowning there. Avery's all upset. What, are you going to call me a racist because white people can swim and black people can't? Well, uh, you say white people can't dance, white people can't jump, white people can't run. But I come to a simple observation that almost every black person I've ever run across says, no, I don't swim, man. I'm sorry, I don't swim. Now, you ain't going to catch me in that ocean. No way. Let's go to Steve, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Hey, Curtis, just to touch on this uh, topic you're holding, white people, black people, Spanish people, there's a lot of nationalities that don't have swimming. It really starts from the fatherhood uh, at a very early age, motherhood, fatherhood. You're usually taught how to swim at a very young age. And I, I just think that it's, 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 it's not a nationality and so much race. The hell do I want an NPR dissertation here? What is this guy, Steve? Is he the Encyclopedia Britannica here? Uh, He's probably got on his smoking jacket and his little pipe, and he's reciting to me, oh, you know, I was just reading this book about ethnic and racial divisions and who swims and who doesn't swim. Do I argue... When I go to a basketball court and most of the guys on the court are black, do I say, gee, this is not a really a sport that white people predominantly participate in and do well in? No. No, no, I accept what is. But the fact that you see almost everybody who swims competitively is white and you have very few black competitors and I come to the conclusion that black people cannot swim, now all of a sudden you're branding me a racist. Well, I'm hiding behind Mara Gay of the New York Times. She wrote it. I'm just regurgitating and repeating what she's saying. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Paul, who's calling all the way from Charlotte, North Carolina. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Paul. Hey, Curtis, you know that you and I are the same age, but unlike you, I grew up in a town of about 10,000 and uh, probably 98, 99% Caucasian. And when I was about eight or nine years old, the city built a brand new municipal pool. And in a town of 10,000, all you have to do is, all you have to do in the summer is ride your bike and go swimming in a lake. Well, all of a sudden, they offered swimming lessons in the morning and then open swimming in the afternoon. And that's all—that's where we hung out all summer. So I learned how to swim. I swam competitively in high school. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's probably more difficult to learn how to swim in the big city than, than in a small town, especially a small town that builds a m- nice new municipal swimming pool for all the kids to swim in. So I am to assume that in your neck of the woods where you grew up in Mayberry RFD, with Barney Fife. Who well, is your... I, I'm a Minnesota boy. I'm a Minnesota boy, and I moved here 20, 30 years ago. Oh, so you up in the 
state of a thousand lakes, Minnesota. What, yeah, and, what, the, and you, what the hell did you need a swimming pool for when you had a thousand lakes to swim in? Well, I think the city. I don't know. I, I don't know why they built the pool, but it was a it was it was a, a, a cash cow. You could swim for a quarter, and, and you know back in in the in the sixties when the the swimming pool was full of kids that paid anywhere from a quarter to fifty cents to swim. You know, it, it was money. It was good money for the city, and it was good for us kids because we learned how to swim. Let me tell you we something, already, Paul. You know, what I would have done in the land of a thousand lakes, Minnesota, is I would have kept a quarter. I would have bought a Carvel cone, and I'd have gone swimming in the lake. Look, lakes in Minnesota are good enough to go ice fishing in, right? I've seen the crazy right. stunards there ice fishing, but they're not good enough to swim in. Well, you know, Curtis, I lived there for, for uh, 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 well, I was 40 years old when I moved here, and I never went ice fishing. I never got ice fishing. You oh, know, I oh wanted my to be God. A, oh, Paul, you, Paul, you have been deprived, deprived, Paul. Here's a guy who lived in Minnesota, land of a thousand lakes, where they go ice fishing in the winter, if there's still going to be a winter any longer with this global warming and climate change melting up everything in sight. And he never went ice fishing. He never swam in any of the thousand lakes. He, slammed, he swam in a municipal pool where he had to pay 25 to 50 cents a day. I would say you're a schmuck and a putz because you got the lake right there. You can swim free in the lake. Oh, God. I try to enlighten our audience, and instead I get blowback. I get beat down from the 50,000 powerful watts of sound now reaching 38 sites, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, and right on down to Davy Jones's locker. On the app, you can hear it crystal clear, even in the haze of heat anywhere on the globe. You're streaming on your laptop or your worktop computer. And you can hear this global entity everywhere. Bigger than the BBC 1, 2, 3, and 4 put together. The most iconic call letters in all of radio. WABC, your place to be. And what is the subject matter that I've started off till the break of dawn with? Why black people can't swim. I'm telling you, call me racist. I made an observation. If you, Avery, can say white people can't jump, and you made a movie about that with Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes, if you can say that white people can't run and compete with black people, and if you can say that white people don't have rhythm or white people can't sing, then I think I'm free to come to the conclusion of saying that black people can't swim. But they can't put their feet into a turlet just like white people, and it's a cool jacuzzi. Oh, how many times I did that. I took off my uh, PF flyers, my pro keds, hot, you know, the asphalt underneath almost melting the rubber on the bottom of your sneakers. And I would take off those uh, sweat socks and put those dogs right in that, uh, that turlet. And, oh, man, it was like a whirlpool. It was like a whirlpool. Anyway, let's go to Melvin, who's calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Melvin. Please. 
Um, the, the swimming asset comes go dates all the way back to slavery. It was not passed on for generation generation. The slaves were kept on the plantation. They were not allowed to go near the water. Since they couldn't bathe much except under supervision. So you cannot pass on what you were not taught. How else are you going to keep on going? Then, when slavery ended, it was a lack of access to resources. And it's still being passed down today. It's very simple to me. Because I didn't learn how to swim until I was eight years young. Got in the cadet corps. And we were that definitely took us up uh, to the woods, taught us how to swim, roll, roll, pitch a tent, and everything else. So you're not passing it down for generation to generation. You're never going to know it. Well, let me tell you something that Mara Gay comes to this conclusion. That 10 million private swimming pools exist in the United States. And most of them are in the backyards of white people. Compared to just 300,000 public swimming pools. The biggest reason that so many Americans can't swim, especially African Americans, is that they have too few places to learn to do so. Wow. The New York Times concurs with Melvin in the Bronx. This is incredible. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Michelle in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Michelle. Yeah, hi, Curtis. I enjoy your program so much. And I agree with you. There is no opportunity for people to learn to swim in, in the city. Uh, when I, in the 50s and 60s, all the high schools had pools, and it was required phys ed that all the kids in the city high schools had pools. Roosevelt, Walton, Taft, Evander, they all had pools. And in the summer, they're open to neighborhood kids. And for five years, I taught in the summer at Roosevelt in the kids in the girls' pool. And the kids would come in the morning, 9.30. We had lessons that all the neighborhood kids could swim. So it's not having the opportunity to do it now that the people in the city can't swim. So you're absolutely right, uh, Curtis. I agree with you. Now, Michelle, let me ask you a question. Because you mentioned Roosevelt High School. We refer to it as the drugstore. That was many years after you spoke there. Right on Fordham yeah. Road across from Fordham right. University. Down right. the block. Near White Castle. <laughs> right from where I started the Guardian Angels as the night manager of, uh, of uh, Mickey D's on the corner of Webster and East Fordham. Yes, I know that well. Uh I did visit Roosevelt High School. I did see the pool there. I saw the pool in Evander Childs uh, up right. near Gun Hill Road. Now, they all had them. In the and then at some point after that, they were all filled in. Now, so it deprived the kids of the ability to swim. Oh, I concur. But did this, did this take place that when the kids would jump in the pool, first off, you had a haze hanging over the pool because it was over-chlorinated? Yeah, you're right. And secondly, some of the swim teachers would tell the kids they had to take their swimming trunks off when they dove in the water. Well, that might have been the boys, Curtis. I don't know. I was in the girls' pool, and, and the kids had to take a shower. It was wonderful. The kids had to take a know, shower Michelle, before they went in. I, I was scarred. I must tell you I was scarred <laughs> when I went to Brooklyn Prep. Uh, one class a week of gym. We had five gym classes. One would be the pool class. And when right. we went into the locker room... Uh, the coach there, the swimming coach said, you got to take your trunks off. I said, what do I got to take my trunks off in order to go swimming in the pool? He goes, hey, you know, it's a sanitary thing. It's sanitary. I said, sanitary? What are you talking about? Because, you see, I always was taught to question authority. And I thought it was, he was a freak by wanting all the young boys to take their swimming trunks off. 
<laughs> I'm sorry you were traumatized. I was traumatized. But, uh, you know, I don't know about that. I was traumatized. That... <laughs> it, was, it was horrific. I, I mean, scarred to this day, 69 years old, seeing that the swimming coach was gawking at all of us, telling us to take our swimming trunks off and go dive off the diving board. And he was really getting his jollies off. Well, that that's funny, Curtis, but uh, that, that's why so. the kids can't swim. And then the colleges also had required swimming in order to uh, to pass the phys ed requirement. Yeah, but so I'm, telling had... you, I'm telling you yeah. now, I believe, Michelle, <laughs> that there is a disparity here, and I am not permitted to say what is very obvious to me. It may be true, Avery. Avery's uh, getting all huffy and puffy that white, white boys can't jump. White boys can't dance. White boys don't have rhythm. White boys can't carry a tune. But if I say black guys can't swim, oh, all of a sudden I'm a racist. Hey, black guys can swim, man. Yeah, where? I've never seen them swim. It might be a regional thing. If you want to say up north, maybe. But down south, they all can swim. Oh, oh that's right. They go to the swimming pond, right? Wherever. Like where Opie went. And it may bury RFD, but back then they didn't let blacks in the swimming pond. You're talking about at a certain period of time or right now? Well, no, that was Mayberry RFD. Did you ever see a black person in Mayberry RFD? No, there was no black people that's, in Mayberry RFD. That's because they didn't let black people <laughs> swim in the swimming pond uh, with uh Opie, right? Opie and Ann Bertha. What the hell was her name? Ann Bertha and Barney Fife and the rest of them. And let's not forget Gomer Pyle. You Golly! To, you had to go one town over to Jackson, North Carolina. I'm telling you, they didn't let black people in that swimming pond. That's where all the black people were swimming, in one town over. I don't believe they can swim. <laughs> I'm looking at the New York Times here. Don't blame me. It's Mara Gay. She happens to be an African-American woman. She wrote the column as to why black people cannot swim properly. Properly, and too many of them have been victims of drowning. Oh, wait a minute. Now it's properly or can't swim at all? Uh, let me read. They have $5 words here. It's the New York Times. Yeah, I don't multi-syllabic. Know. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know how the Olympics swim. I can swim, though. Oh, 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 yeah. That reminds me. How many black swimmers do we see in the Olympic Games well, in the swimming competition? Well, that's different. What do you mean it's different? But it, it costs a lot of money to train. You need facilities and stuff to what? train. What? All you need is a pair of trunks. What are you talking about? But you need like an Olympic pool to, tra to, to oh, train Oh, an Olympic pool. Oh, it can't just be a normal pool, right? Well, yeah. You got the, 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 the length and everything. Excuses, excuses, excuses. <laughs> anyway, let's go to the phones if we can. To Andy, who's calling from Sussex County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Andy. Hey, Curtis, you're the best. I got to tell you, I saw you in New York back in the 80s, and I never got to talk to you. I walked the streets. I was an engineer for the railroad for Jersey Transit. And I got to tell you, man, I wish you were the mayor. That's all I got to tell you. There, and listen, the second thing is, what is Biden smoking? Because this kid must be getting him some good stuff. Uh, I don't understand why that guy comes out and babbles. And 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 number two, who? What does he think? This is like every other talk show here at WABC. Biden sucks. Hunter is a drug addict. Trump is God. You know. Avery, can you let him know that when you call into the Curtis Sleeper show? We give them a break from talking Biden-Trump, which they do 24 hours a day here, and it bores me. 
It really bores me. Out with the old and with the new. Get rid of Trump. Get rid of Biden. Get rid of Mitch McConnell. Get rid of Dianne Feinstein. Get rid of them all. Out with the old and with the new. I'm tired. It's the same repetitive stuff every day. Biden sucks. Hunter Biden is a drug addict. Donald Trump is the second coming of Jesus Christ, okay? How many times can you say that in one day? Well, we prove here at WABC you can say it a hell of a lot. It's boring. 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Oh, yeah, I'm really going to piss off the brothers, Broadway, Billy, and Avery. Do you know what the name of this song is, uh, Avery? Continue with that song. You know what the name of this song is, Avery? A Whiter Shade of Pale. The crowd called out for more. Swim, white boy, swim, white boy. It's the only thing we can do better than you black guys. Hey, where are you swimming to anyway? (laughs) As far away from you as possible. It's not not a a practical uh, skill. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Life is made for the land dwelling. Oh, wait, wait, here we go. Proko Harem, here we go. You hear the language? So in Whitelandia, we learn to swim. You were deprived, Avery. You were deprived, Broadway Billy. I know how to swim. Well, <laughs> says you. <laughs> says you. See, white a shade of hair. When you've been in the salt water for a long time, doesn't the white skin get even paler than it normally is? Oh, yeah. Subliminally, this is white people singing to one another. A whiter shade of pale. You never hear a black man play that song by Proko Haram, never. When's the last time you heard that on WBLS, huh? The Quiet Storm with Vaughn Harper. Or Frankie Crocker, they never played Proko Harum or Whiter Shade of Pale because they were prejudiced against things that were a whiter shade of pale. But I wander through my playing cards. Would I let her be? One of 16 vessel virgins. Wow, a vessel virgin there. Ba 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 boom.
WPLS, did you? That her face at first just goes Turn the wider shade of pale. A wider shade of pale. Let's go to Dave in Pennsylvania. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. Hey, hey Curtis. Uh, I may have been born in May, sorry, but I've been to Raleigh. And, and with this climate change, they've, the government has reduced a flush down to 1.2 gallons of flush. I can't even evacuate the doo-doo. How am I going to keep my feet cool? Well, that's because you're in Pennsylvania, where Fetterman is your senator who can't string three words together. Don't complain to your senator wearing the hoodie, wearing the shorts there in the United States Senate in the cloakroom. Complain to Fetterman. I just want to hear the white man's anthem here, a whitest shade of pale. Hey, that's, that's a dirty jacuzzi. <laughs> a, a muddy jacuzzi. <laughs> All I know is if you're down on your luck, white or black, just take your socks off. Close your eyes, put your hot dogs into that turlet bowl, and flush away. Oh, it's so cool, it's so refreshing. Just close your eyes, and don't sniff. Oh, it's so good. So good. Uh, I feel refreshed now. I feel whiter than I've ever felt in my life listening to Proko Haram. A whiter shade of pale. Here it comes. Let her face at first just go Turn the wider shade of your hearts out, brothers. That's our song. You can't take that song from us. Oh, no, you can't. You never heard that. You never heard Frankie Crocker at WBR say, hey, we're going to be playing a whitest shade of pale, Proko Haram. No, 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 no. You ever, did you ever hear Don Cornelius on Soul Train play Proko Haram's A Whitest Shade of Pale? Wait a second. He did play Average White Band, pick up the pieces, right? That, that group of Scots wearing their kilts from Scotland and Glasgow. But I don't even think he knew they were white until they came out on the stage. Like Ray, Redbone, remember? Come and get your love, Native American Indians. And where did I see all of that? On Soul On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
I celebrate my whiteness once and for all? my teeth. I'm telling you, if you're down on your luck, you don't have two nickels to rub together, you're throwing them around like manhole covers, take your socks off, your sandals, your slippers, and put your hot dogs right in that toilet and flush. And that cool water, it's just going to cool off your entire body. It's called a poor man's jacuzzi. And I've had many in my life. I'm proud to say I put my dogs in the toilet and I flush, flush, flush. And I have documentary evidence in my hand. I never before would skate on thin ice like this and make a declarative sentence that white people swim better than blacks. But now, a black female columnist for the New York Times, the old gray lady, has written a column, when it comes to swimming, why have Americans been left on their own, especially African Americans? So I think if you, Broadway Billy, and you, Avery, for years could say white boys can't jump, and you even made a movie about it with the pot-smoking Woody Harrelson who can't jump, and Wesley Snipes, who could, well, then I can say black guys can't swim. Oh, what are you going to do? Call me racist, huh? Oh, it's all right. It's all right. You go to a track meet. It's a 100-meter dash. How many white boys do you see in the 100-meter dash? Almost none. So if I come to the conclusion that black guys can run faster than white guys, oh, that's copacetic. 
But if all of a sudden I say white guys can swim better than black guys, I'm a racist! And there's always that South, that, that South African runner. That, uh, he's white. Yeah, yeah. What, the one with the blades on? The one who killed his girlfriend? Is that who you're talking about? No, just in general. There's always a white South African runner. Oh, that's true. That's true. Because, yeah. hey, you know, it's, it's promoting apartheid, right? <laughs> we got to remind the brothers. Remember, one time it was the Dutch Reformed Church uh, and there was apartheid. Oh, please. You're really <laughs> scraping scraping the bottom of the barrel on that one. Hey, man, without a bottom, there can't be a top, right? <laughs> oh, I'm feeling my whiteness now, yeah. Average white band, pick up the pieces. First time you saw them on Soul Train. You didn't think they were a black band, right? You thought they were black, right? Just like you thought the Vanilla Ice was black. Oh, yeah, that first time he had that jam come out. Oh, wow, man, the brother can really rap. That's Vanilla Ice. That ain't Ice Cube, Ice Tea, whatever, Ice Tray. Vanilla Ice. Hey, yeah. No black man would name himself Vanilla Ice, man. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, now you reaching. Uh, <laughs> no, don't you remember? Shook Knight was holding Vanilla Ice over the balcony when he wanted to join yeah. Def Jam. Def. Death, that's where he got the money to start Death Row. That's right, right. Death Row Records. Yeah, that, but that was over some other thing. That wasn't over music. By the way, Suge Knight was in that Cadillac, right? And Tupac Shakur got shot six times on that strip in Vegas after the Tyson fight. And now they finally say they got the guy, the crypt, that did it. How many years later, right? Maybe they had the Suffolk County Police Department investigating that shooting. Oh, did I take a good shot at them there, didn't I, Broadway Billy? Yes, yes. Yeah, that was a good little jab there. Of course. Why? They try to get me fired. They try to get me fired. Yeah, pick up the pieces on that. By the way, I should follow it with KC and the Sunshine Band, right? Try to find a brother in that group. Soul Train. Okay, Don Cornelius. Who, 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 who's the headliner today? KC and the Sunshine Band. Boy, I'm really, I'm really grabbing for straws on this one. KC and the Sunshine Band. Oh my God. Oh wait, here we come. Here we come. Tell me you thought that they were brothers when you first heard them. Come on now, Avery. I 
can do it as good as you, Tony Orlando, without dawn. I got your number, Vinnie Venduno. And of course, Cousin Brucie, go down on this jam. Oh, man, my whiteness is coming out this morning. It my, is. My whiteness, I'm bleached out, man. That's, that's when you know they're not black when it gets to the chorus. I'm whited out. No, no black man would have shake, shake, shake your booty as a chorus. <laughs> but up till then, though, up till then, you oh, have yeah, something. Yeah, hey, man, can't see it. Oh, here it goes. Come on. <laughs> I'm feeling my whiteness. It's the choruses that, that expose it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can you imagine an entire village, the ultimate white band? Pick up the pieces, right? KC in the Sunshine Band. And we got to get Redbone in there. Oh, yeah. Native Indian Band. Come and get your love. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, see this? Oh, man, we could, man, we could do a whole musical hour. Continue the entertainment stream here at WABC, your place to be. Be running out of white bands real soon, though. Uh, Oh, yes, yes, yes. Here it is, here it is. Yeah, funky white boy. I'm feeling my whiteness. Whiteness, I'm feeling it. Got to stop to feeling so low. At this point, the manager said, We can't hide it no more. Just lean into it. <laughs> Play it, white boy. <laughs> lean into it. <laughs> Go ahead. doing the white storm here at WABC. Yeah. Oh, here it comes. Our native Indian friends from the Rosebud <sighs> Reservation. Redbone, come and get your love. So good. Native Indians, white boys. Ah. 
I like it. Oh, yes, yes. We got to pour that white domino sugar all over the floor. Just don't sniff it up. Don't sniff it up. I'm so good spinning these stacks of wax. Eat your heart out, Cousin Brucie. Running out of white groove like back here. <laughs> hey, we're we going to start playing some mix, some mix singers <laughs> with, with white parents and a, a white mother, a black father. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's so good. Just see McWhitey Curtis Sliwa at the turnstiles. Whatever white, it makes it white. But I'd be running out of vinyl real quick. Hey, you'll get you'll get all the bar mitzvahs <laughs> <laughs> and the communions yeah. and confirmation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we want the McWhitey Whitey yeah. DJ Curtis Sliwa in the house. Curtis only plays white groups. <laughs> <laughs> about 40 minutes of music and that's it. You got a tight 30 minutes. <laughs> oh, so good. So good. No more, no less. <laughs> tight 30 and I'm out. <laughs> well, I don't ca- have to carry that much vinyl around, that's for sure. Nope. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I feel relieved. I feel relieved. We can do something. We can compete. Oh, it started with swimming and diving, and now spinning stacks of wax. To the break of dawn, ladies and gentlemen. You're not going anywhere. You know, it ain't just going to be talk, talk, talk. Can you imagine if I was talking about Biden, Hunter Biden, and Trump? Everybody be falling asleep saying, well, I can pick up on that tomorrow morning at WABC because that's all they ever talk about. Biden sucks. Hunter Biden is a drug addict. And Donald Trump is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Enough of that. Didn't notice how I blended that in. I can't go for that. I can't go for that. Oh, let's, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's about all that's left. I'm running out of vinyl. And the, and the Beatles. You know I don't play the Beatles, sorry. Well, I think you got to start dipping into that. I hate the Beatles. The monkeys. Yeah, I love the monkeys, yeah. Uh, David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust, I don't know, but wait, he married him mom. Oh, he, wait, no, stop, stop, you must stop this music. He married Imam.
That means he got into jungle fever. So you no, he cannot be played. I'm sorry, he cannot be on the playlist. Do you concur, Avery? Iman, the, the supermodel? Damn right. Hey, man. Man, she was drop-dead gorgeous. Yes, still is. Yes, sir. He's gone. She's still here. And where was she? She was from Somalia, I think. Or I Eritrea know. or Ethiopia. She was from heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and meantime, David Bowie's jumping in the sack with Mick Jagger. Yeah. Is he crazy? Is he crazy or what? We got Departures Friendly coming next, man. <laughs> I know, I know we're running out of ranks. <laughs> the Brady Bunch, that, that song they sang on the show. Yeah, I know. Hey, look, come Gotta on. Gotta get it moving. Yeah, no, no, no. We're running out. We're running out. Well, we gave it a good 30 minutes, right? A tight 30, man. Yeah, I'm tight telling 30, you. Tight, tight 30. 30. I can do it. I can compete. I can compete. It's <laughs> <laughs> what you left with. <laughs> uh, okay, tell me, tell me, that's enough for this white thing. Yeah, Don Cornelius, Don Cornelius is like, all right, now it's my turn. <laughs> I need, I need my slime the family stone to get back on into the groove. I need my slime the family stone because I'm too whited out, man. I've had too much white out, too much bleach. I mean, I'm, I'm a whitish shell of uh, pale. I started with Proco Haram. You see what this got me into? I'm a whitish shade of pale, and now I need to go back to Oaktown. I need to go into the heart of the hood. I need to go back to Woodstock, 1969, 3 o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden these brothers and sisters, especially that sister with the horn, gets up on the stage, and all those hippy-dippies, those white boys and white gals who are fornicating and copulating and doing puff-puff-pass said. Man, this is the bomb. For three hours they entertain. Yeah, let me hear it. Okay, now I'm back on. I'm back on track. I'm on to that black thing. Yeah, do it, Slide. Wow, I got a, I got a 30 minute, 30 minutes I squeezed out of that. Ooh. Now I'm back on track. Oh, here it comes, here it comes. Okay, I'm back on the black QT with Sly and the Family Stone. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Black people do it better, man. I got to tell you, Sly and the Family Stone turn that mother out.
Up concerts that Eric Adams is uh, sponsoring with our tax dollars. He got booed at Midland Beach last year. He got booed in person. This year he decided, let me just put it on the jumbotron. They booed him twice as much on the jumbotron, even though they got into the concert for free. You got something, so don't worry, 'cause I'm coming. I'm a soul. Oh, perfect, perfect to go out on that. Let's go to Gary in Queens. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Gary. Good morning, Curtis. Gary in Inwood. Yes, Gary. Okay, uh, yeah, a little uh, information, uh, trivia info. When the, the group was forming, Pro Call Harem, you know where that name comes from? No, enlighten us. I laid this on you about a year and a half ago. When the group was forming, They would go to Gary Booker, lead of the group, at his place. He had a blue Russian cat. The cat's name was Procol Harum. Wow. A blue Russian and, uh, cat. And when they came over to his place, they would pass the cat. And the cat sat in a regal position. And when they went inside, everybody would comment to Gary Booker about the cat. So after they collaborated and they got together, they went with the name of the cat. Wow. You know, that reminds me of the cat that I did my first political commercial for when I was running for mayor against Eric Adams, Tuna. Uh, Tuna stole the show because she was exactly that kind of cat that you described, Gary. Russian blue. Yes. And now we have a new kitten that was born in this uh, this litter of six. It's amazing. There's no way that a Russian blue cat should have been born in this litter based on the composition of the mother. I have no idea who the father is. But I will tell you this. I believe it's reincarnation. I believe that Tuna has come back to assist me again. She was the lucky charm in our... Uh, our attempt to become the mayor and how many people have been saying just in the past 72 hours and all the different rallies that I've been attending to try to stop 
Eric Adams from forcing illegal aliens into their neighborhoods. You know what the people have been saying, Broadway Bill Lee? Don't blame me. I voted for Sliwa. Don't blame me. I've been voting. I voted for Sliwa. Yeah, maybe I should go on an apology tour, right? Not me apologizing. All of you who voted for Eric Adams, every borough. The Curtis Sliwa. I want to hear it from all of you. Apology tour. The, hey, I should have voted for you. What a mess. You see what they're doing at the Roosevelt Hotel as we speak? In the hot, sweltering heat, the illegal aliens have been tossed to the curb. I, Eric Adams is out of control. Out of control. You know and I know that it's all about the swagger. <laughs> That's all it is, the swagger. You, you accepted all these illegal aliens. You put them up in the Roosevelt Hotel. You ran out of space. They're now out in the streets, and they're trying to bum rush back into the Roosevelt Hotel. I don't blame them. Show me the money. Exactly, because that's what it's all about. Wow. As we speak, hundreds of illegal aliens are out in the streets trying to get back into the Roosevelt Hotel. Because Eric Adams, swagger man no, with no plan, has told them there's no more room at the inn. And when I do my dime, I could do my time, and I won't hear one, anyone whine. What the hell is that? That was like the worst rhyme that I ever heard in my life. 1-800-848-9222. I think I proved one thing. I could get down as good as Vinnie Madunio can with the stacks of wax, as good as the great one, Cousin Bruce C. can, greatest DJ of all time, and Tony Orlando without dawn. Cousin Bruce C. I got it. I got it. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Great song by Tom Petty. Unfortunately, OD'd on fentanyl strips. But this song fits at the many demonstrations that I've been attending just in the last 72 hours in Queens where citizens have said to Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, don't have those illegal aliens coming around here anymore. Don't be shoving them into our our empty schools, into our gymnasiums. Don't be putting them in tents or empty buildings. Don't be coming around here anymore. 
And even Ernie Sunshine Banks, Ernie Anastas, who always puts a positive spin on everything. There's no way to put a positive spin on this. I do want to uh, applaud all of those who came out today outside of Creedmoor. God, in the hot, sweltering heat, there were hundreds, hundreds of people who heard the 50,000 powerful watts of sound as I announced rally number two against the illegal alien invasion. And people came from Fresh Meadows and Hollis Hills and Oakland Gardens and Glen Oaks and Bell Rose and Queens Village. And they were out there strong. They were white, black, Hispanic, Asian, male, female, young, middle-aged, old, saying, don't come around here no more. You're not going to destroy this neighborhood. Simply because Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, wants to be mayor of the illegal aliens, that ain't going to work out. And in fact, we're going for the Trinity, the trifecta, the troika, Bernard Chow, who's running uh, in the 23rd uh, City Council District against a missing in action councilwoman, Linda Lee, the Democrat, once again led, uh, led the chance. I had a chance to rock the mic. And I got to tell you, the people were all fired up. Well, round three is we're going outside of Linda Lee's office on Monday, 1 p.m. Right there on the corner of 73rd Avenue and Bell Boulevard in Oakland Gardens. And we're going to ask the city councilwoman, Linda Lee, why she has silently folded to Eric Adams and is allowing a tent to be put on the grounds of Creedmoor in which you're going to put a thousand young, able-bodied young men with nothing to do, no time at all to while away, and will end up roaming the neighborhood. And you know, you take a thousand young men from anywhere in the world and turn them loose into a neighborhood with nothing to do, it's, it's a recipe for double trouble. High levels of testosterone crashing through their cranium. Some of them gangbangers, some of them drug dealers. Come on, how crazy is that? But the residents are fighting back. They, uh, they actually accept my battle cry, which is improve, don't move. Some of them have already made plans to move out, and I'm begging them. I'm beseeching them. Take those four sale signs off your front lawn. You got to stand and fight for what you know is right. But what a tremendous turnout. What a great turnout. Everybody's schwitzing out there, but nobody surrendered. Nobody retreated. It was a phenomenal turnout, and I will give everyone an opportunity who wants to fight back, protect their quality of life, protect their neighborhoods, protect their community, protect their city, protect their country from an invasion in which we don't know who these people are. They're not vetted. They haven't been vaccinated. They haven't had their medical uh, backgrounds checked. Nothing. We just let them in and just let them roll in. And as I pointed out, outside of the uh, buildings of Creedmoor, which uh, gives you an idea of what uh, the old Shawshank-style uh, redemption, uh, old facilities for the emotionally disturbed and mentally ill uh, look like, it's only 30% full. A full 70% of the tiers in the rooms in Creedmoor are not occupied, and yet we have emotionally disturbed People with mental health issues roaming around, riding the trains, living in the parks, a danger to themselves and everybody else. And it's run by the state, Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb. She can't take them into the facility to get treatment. Americans born and raised here. 
but she could actually encourage illegal aliens to come into Creedmoor and to live in a tent and then roam the neighborhoods? How crazy is that? Anyway, let's go to Darren in Hoboken. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Darren. Hey, the white disco is still open. Let's dance. 1978. Oh, God. He ruined it. Low-budget Darren, right? He's like hillbilly. He's like a hillbilly guy there, right on the back of a pickup truck. Oh, God. You know, listening to that music, I want to denounce my whiteness. I really do. Oh, God. So horrible. Darren, you killed it. We were on a roll, man. And now you just poured you just poured cold water on it without putting your feet in the turlet and flushing, flushing, flushing. God, what a party pooper there. What a party pooper. Let's go to Jane, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jane. Good morning, uh, Curtis. I wanted to talk about McCarran Pool. You were talking about learning how to swim and the pools in New York City. Now, we grew up on Milton Street, right near St. Anthony's, and we used to walk up Manhattan Avenue and go to the McCarran Pool, and we used to spend the day there and have a ball. We used to have a dollar in our pocket. I think it cost a quarter to get in and five, five cents to, get, to put your stuff in a, a wire basket, and they used to give you a bracelet, with an elastic bracelet with a number on it. And we used, it was a huge pool. It was beautiful. They had the deep end with the diving boards, and it was absolutely amazing. We grew up in Greenpoint, and we were Polish. And a group of us used to go together, and we used to have a ball. I have such fond memories of growing up in that area. At a time when we were poor, we didn't know we were poor. We, we used to get together, a bunch of blondes. We used to have six blondes. Going over there, it was like a Nordic invasion, going into the uh, McCarran Street pool and swimming. It, it was amazing, absolutely amazing. On Saturday, we used to go to the American Movie Theater for a quarter, and there was a double feature, and there was a ma- matron watching us. And uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful area to grow up in New York City, and we learned how to swim, too. So by the time I got to college, I took swimming. I mean, and I learned that at the McCarran Street pool. I mean, it was amazing, amazing. I will tell you this. uh, I know that area well. My mother-in-law was born and raised there. My wife was born, uh, Nancy, in Greenpoint, and then they moved out to Bohemia in Suffolk County. Uh, But I also remember McCarran Park uh, fell on hard times. Uh, They had closed it down for a long time, but but I'm 80 years old, so I'm going back a long way. Yeah, well, they they reopened it, but I remember going to McCarran Park because at that time, uh, St. Francis Prep was in North Williamsburg before they moved out to uh, Francis Lewis uh, mm. Boulevard and I think took over, what was that, O'Reilly High School out there? O'Reilly High School. I, I'm not it quite sounds sure. right. Right. But uh, we used to play ball against the St. Francis Terriers there in McCarran Park. And St. John's Prep was in North Williamsburg, who used to be our adversaries. They ended up moving over to Astoria, where the old Monte Cristi uh, High School was. That's where St. John's Prep is today. So I have fond memories, but I also have memories, me and my cousins going into McCarran Park and fighting with the Puerto Ricans. I mean, <laughs> They came from Williamsburg, them and the Italians. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some brutal fights. And then in Canarsie, yes. we would cross over Linden Boulevard to Betsy Head Pool in Brownsville. Never ran, never will. 
And about 5 o'clock, the brothers would come up to me and my supreme cuisines, and they would say, white boy, when the sun comes down, you better get the hell out of this part of town. And then it was, feet, don't fail me now. Got to make it past Linden Boulevard before they turn us into speed bumps. But one thing, Jane, whether it was McCarran Park, whether it was Betsy Head Pool, whether it was any of the pools, Astoria Pool, we could go on and on. One thing they always had was a plume of chlorine, a haze over the pool, because so many of the kids would decide to use it as a lavatory. I don't remember that. I remember the high diving board used to climb up there and jump off. It It was exhilarating, absolutely exhilarating. Yes, it was. Handball courts. There were handball courts there. We used to spend a lot of time there when the pools were closed in in the fall and the winter and all that. It was a great place to grow up. Yep. Now it's uh, the enclave of the hipsters and millennials, Jane. And in order for you to find a little closet to live in in Greenpoint, you'd have to take a reverse mortgage. Right. We were on Milton Street, and now it's like a city landmark because there were three churches. You had St. Anthony's at the further north, then you had two other churches. I don't even remember the name. I belong to St. Elias, and uh, but but uh, it was a beautiful block. Now it's a landmark. It, it, the house that I grew up in now goes for $2 million. I can't afford to live there anymore. It's true. And by the way, uh, one thing the Greenpoint was known for, not only all the churches— but all the bars and gin mills. I uh, See, I, I never hung out with that crowd. I, I know there was a triangle. The triangle was up on, like, Nassau Avenue, up near Meserol Street, where the library was. I spent a lot of time in the library, I remember. Ah, uh, see, you were a good girl. You were a good girl. Good girls spend time yeah, in the God. library. Bad girls, well. You know, I, I went to the, the triangle bar once, and it was a dark place with a bunch of men sitting at a bar. And I walked out. I couldn't handle it. I really couldn't. It wasn't. It wasn't for me. It just wasn't for me. But the bad girls, Jane, would have stayed. And that's the difference between you and your gal pals, the six blondies from Greenpoint. Greenpoint. Six Polish young ladies who had the time of their life in McCarran Park at the movie theater, but she went into the Triangle and said, "I'm getting the hell out of here now." That proves she was a good girl. You see, what we believe if she were a bad girl, she'd have stayed. Oh, she'd have stayed. And become a bar fly. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. I like to be in a man. West Side Story made about the clashes between Puerto Ricanos and white ethnics at the old San Juan Hill before they took a wrecking ball to it. Urban renewal and created what we now have, Lincoln Center. Used to be teeming tenements of white ethnics and Puerto Ricans and the battles that took place as a result of gang warfare. In this case, it was jets and sharks. But this would be considered under today's standards xenophobic. 
accent. Even though it dealt with Puerto Ricans who are as American as anybody, birthed on the Commonwealth and the island or birthed here on the mainland, as American as anybody. And the whole script, the music, everything was created by liberals and progressives at the time. And the band leader, number one, was Leonard Bernstein. Uh, they're just finishing that movie about him now. You couldn't have been any more radical than Leonard Bernstein, who hosted a party for the Black Panther Party to raise money for them and had their um, international spokesperson, their minister of information, uh, Elridge Cleaver, give a speech about how rape of white women was a political act and they gave him a standing ovation. That was nuts. Anyway, let's go to the phones, uh, if we can. And to Linda, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Linda. Yeah, Curtis, I want to thank you. A lot of people want to thank you. That's really, even though you're not the mayor, you are doing more than that. I won't say it. Um, He's doing the opposite of what everyone wants. And you're out there, you know, helping people. Now, I, I do want you to tell you that the plan was that, do you call them immigrants or illegals? Well, these are illegals because yeah. they're not asylum seekers. They're being right. permitted to come uh-huh. in to fit an agenda, which is hoping that they stay, eventually uh, get an address where they get a Verizon bill, register to vote, and elect Democrats until the ends of time. That's what the goal is here. Is that stupidity? I mean, really, people don't even think. They don't think. There are hospitals, doctors. People need help. They need things. You know, people people who live here, some of them, whoever voted for him, you know, they didn't know he'd be this bad. But they don't think ahead that their own families are, are in trouble by bringing all these people in. They don't know who they are. They're going all over. The plan was that they were supposed to do this in government land uh, in Kew Gardens. And the reason I know that, um, because I, I start telling you, um, there was a letter um, from a woman who, who said, who, you know, put in the paper um, that they're supposed to come into her neighborhood in Kew Gardens. But she said in the, in the letter, but we don't want them. Instead, um, send them to Creedmoor. Now, this was, um, I couldn't believe when I read that, and this was a little while ago. That's why I was shocked when I heard, you know, now that they're actually doing that. Uh, But this was in the paper. Yeah, well, you you see, Linda, unfortunately, it pits neighborhoods against one another. What was meant for Kew Gardens, the people there organized, and rightfully so, to keep, keep it out. Uh, and then Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb made Creedmoor available, tremendous amount of acreage there, uh, in order for them to pitch a tent and put a thousand uh, illegal aliens, single able-bodied men in the middle of nowhere to do nothing all day but roam about, go uh, and get themselves into double trouble. It's exactly what's going to happen. Let's go to Brian in Valley Stream. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Brian. Hey, Curtis. Uh, I just want to, you should be mayor, and uh, you do good work, and I love the show with Nancy with the cats. But um, I just want to talk about um, the uh, black jockeys. Why is the lack of, lack of black jockeys in, in horse racing? 
Well, originally, when you came out of the Depression era, there were plenty of black jockeys. There were black trainers. There were black walkers, groomers. Uh, in the backstretch, it was predominantly black. And then all of a sudden, there was a wave of uh, both uh, illegals to work the backstretch from uh, Central America, South America, the uh, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, and a lot of jockeys. Most of the jockeys now are from uh, South America, Central America, Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic. Uh, the whole nature of the people who work at the horse tracks have changed. But at one time, Brian, it was predominantly black. Yeah, I know, because I talked to a lot of the guys, and the backstretcher workers, too, were black. But um, but uh, Jimmy Winkfield, if you remember, they have a stakes in the aqueduct. Uh, it's like after Martin Luther King Day, they have a stakes called the Jimmy Winkfield. And it's because uh, he, he won two Kentucky Derbies, I think, in the 18 or 19, early 1900s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but people have no idea. It's like everything else. Uh, time goes on. And the individuals most associated with that sport, that game, uh, change. And so if you woke up today and you went to a racetrack, you would think you were in South America, Central America, or the West Indies or the Caribbean. A lot of, I mean, at one time, the tracks across America, not just in the Deep South, everybody worked at the track, the trainers even. The jockeys, the groomers, uh, the back uh, stretch walkers, those that would care for the thoroughbreds uh, in their stalls were African-Americans. And then for a time there, they had some jockeys who uh, came in from the West Indies, from Jamaica, from the Bahamas, from Antigua. That was just a phase. Didn't last that long. Oh, boy. Times change. Let's go to Jack in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jack. Hey, Curtis. I don't know if you remember, because you were from Brooklyn, but I I grew up in Inwood. The Miramar Pool, same same thing. It was a saltwater pool. It was great. It had the high diving boards. I, I forget how much it was, like 50 cents, and you got a locker key, and you wore it around your wrist on a rubber thing. But it was a saltwater pool, and I don't know how much salt they put in there. But if you got out and walked around for a little while, it looked like you were dipped in a vat of Noxzema. I mean, it just caked on you, the salt. But we used to go underneath the, the 207th Street Bridge. It's the University Heights Bridge. We called it the 207th Street Bridge. And we catch the eels. With your, night, your bare hands? With your bare hands? No, no, no. We go <laughs> down there fishing, catching the eels. And as we walk by the pool, we throw them in. And then the next morning, you'd see the guys trying to catch the eels out of the pool and bring them back down to the river and throw them in. Yeah, well, it remember, was, it was just this. What was the world's largest saltwater pool? Oh man, I I don't know. I want to say Palisades Park. You are absolutely one thousand and eight hundred and fifty-two percent correct. And it was yeah. r- right opposite Inwood. You could see it from the yeah. heights there. Yeah, you could see it. But you know. Yeah, the- right from the George, right, right. across the George Washington Bridge. Or if you were in Inwood Park up on the hills, you could see it. Right. But Palisades. You could across the Palisades. Right. But Palisades yeah. Park, yeah. swings all day and after dark, was not in Palisades Park. No. It was in Cliffside Park and in Fort Lee. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 
And you went across the George Washington Bridge, and you were right there. Oh, and it was great. With the world's largest saltwater pool, and then you had, obviously, uh, our own uh, cousin Brucey, who was EMC. You had great acts get come there, Bobby Rydell, a whole bunch of others. It was a great place to be. And then, unfortunately, like so many amusement parks, the wrecking ball disintegrated it. Just about the time that my all-time favorite amusement park ever, whether Disney World, Disneyland, couldn't touch Freedomland. Freedomland, the absolute best. Some of you are passing by on the hutch. Uh, the New England Thruway, as you go north to south, you're passing Co-op City, set up by the unions. When Co-op City was finished, uh, it had been built on the grounds of what was Freedom Land. Freedom Land uh, was put out of business by the 1964 World's Fair in Flushing Meadow, Queens. But I have the greatest memories of Freedom Land, like so many of you, a Palisades Park swings all day and after dark. And let's not forget Action Park. In western New Jersey, right across from Florida, New York, the black dirt country where the Polish farmers there grow those sweet onions. And the Colombo crime family would hang out and hide from law enforcement when the heat was on. Action Park was like Crazy Park. They would have the ambulances stacked up outside because the rides were so dangerous, so out of control. The people actually went there to get injured or to be on the cutting edge. It was sort of like you were a daredevil when you went to Action Park. Oh, there were so many great amusement parks, so many great memories. And I know for some of you, they're all rushing back to you as they are to me. But we're going to continue on through the sweltering heat to the break of dawn. Nobody better go go to sleep. We've just uh, touched so many different issues, and there's so much more to do right here at WABC, your place to be. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
Every time you hear me play Godfather of Soul, Soul Brother Number One, James Brown, singing Living in America, you know, what are we talking about? Illegal aliens and the invasion that continues right across the borders, in which most, when asked by Catholic charities, the largest of the many nonprofits making dollars uh, on the backs of illegal aliens from our tax dollars to the federal government. When Catholic Charities, which has turned into a racket, asks them where they want to go, where do you think they say? You think they say Chi-Town, Chicago, so they can become a victim of a drive-by shooting or Philadelphia or Baltimore, Body Bag City? Hell no! They say, I want to go to Nueva York! Well, those illegal aliens that I told you about at the start of the program that were laying outside of the Roosevelt Hotel, hundreds of them, just just totally tying up that Grand Central area. Uh, they decided they were going to bum rush back into the Roosevelt Hotel since Eric Adams, swagger man who has no plan, he welcomes them in. He said, who's your Papa Chulo? Who's your daddy? They all say Eric Adams, right? And with our dollars, our New York City tax dollars, he's spending $5 billion to care and maintain for them in a manner that he doesn't even spend for those who have been born and raised in the United States, most of them African-Americans, many of them who are homeless, many of them who are veterans who have emotional issues or alcohol or drug addictions, many of whom have become emotionally disturbed and are in desperate need of mental health care. They get ugats, they get bupkis, and the illegal aliens show up, and they got to believe that they hit the Powerball lottery. They're ending up in the Roosevelt Hotel, uh, the Milford Plaza, you name it, three-star hotels, and anything they want. So they decided they wouldn't leave the Roosevelt Hotel because all of a sudden, Eric Adams said, 60 days and then au revoir. Hasta la vista. unfair for local governments to have to take on this national obligation. We've done our job. Uh, there's no more room at the end. No more room at the end. So he kicked them out, and they were strewn all over the streets. And so finally people were saying, like, Eric, you can't invite them. You can't host them and then kick them out into the streets. Where the hell are they going to go? So what did the city do with our tax dollars? They brought in buses. And they have them sleeping in buses that surround the Roosevelt Hotel right by Grand Central that are air-conditioned. 
But you say, how long is this madness going to continue? You kicked them out of the Roosevelt Hotel. You told them there's no more room at the inn. If you've stayed at a shelter and you're an illegal alien for 60 days, the city is basically saying to you, hasta la vista. It's time to go. Where the hell are they going to go once you've invited them in? This is insanity. This just gets worse and worse and worse. And the mayor has no remedy, no plan. He went to Washington, D.C. on Friday. He sat down with the schmuck to punch Chuck E. Cheese Schumer, who gave him nothing. Hakeem Jeffries, who can't wait for the Democrats to have the majority in the House, and he'll be the future speaker. Hakeem gave him nothing. He met with Mayorkas of Homeland Security, and all Mayorkas gave him was an aide de camp who will create better communication between City Hall in New York City and the White House of Joe Biden. Well, what the hell? Eric Adams has declared himself to be the Biden of Brooklyn. What an absolute disaster. And then from there, he went on to Houston. I'm going to play you cuts of what he had to say in Houston with all black mayors because he was just playing the race card again. This is all he does. Whenever his back is to the wall, Eric Adams, whose complexion is his protection, plays the race card. And he's been doing this for over 40 years. And I warned you about this, but no, you didn't want to listen. You didn't want to listen. So now you're going to have to suffer. Oh, yeah, you're going to have to suffer. And in many of the communities that I've been visiting of late throughout the five boroughs, there's like a rally cry. Don't blame me. I voted for Sliwa. Did you not realize that what you were getting was a fugazi? This guy is a glorified borough president. Look at his schedule each and every day. He's cutting ribbons. He's giving out certificates, citations. He's never elevated himself to be the mayor, an administrator, a hands-on mayor. He'd rather be at some cultural festival getting glad-handed, people taking selfies of him with that big, goofy smile of his, laughing away, rather than actually sitting, whether it's City Hall or another municipal building, sitting down his bureau leaders and saying, look, we got to get control of this situation. He's got attention deficit disorder. He runs from spot to spot, place to place, has a press conference today, and assumes that everybody will forget in five minutes, five hours, five days, five weeks, five months, five years, what he had to say. (laughs) And especially you dopey crackers out there, because he has absolutely no respect whatsoever for dumb crackers, of which he assumes I, like so many of you, are just dumb, stupid crackers And when you look at your response to him when he was running for mayor and how many of you decided, well, he was a cop for 22 years. And I told you, he wasn't an active cop. He was a disruptor cop. He even described himself. I was in the police department to disrupt it. And he became a house mouse because he was good at test taking, rising up the civil service ladder, uh, earning his white shirt as a lieutenant and a captain, which gave him white shirt immunity. That's the way it is in the police department, whether you're white, black, Hispanic, Asian, male, female, non-binary, whatever the hell you you describe yourself as. The moment through civil service you get that white shirt, yeah, white shirt immunity. Let's go, if we uh, can, to Bobby, who's calling from Jersey City. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Bobby. 
Curtis, I was going to talk about Action Park, but since you brought up the Swagger Man with truly no plan, I seen it on the news today, Curtis. The, the, the immigrants, they were the illegal aliens. They, they were in the curb, Curtis. The bus pulled away, and they had cardboard over their heads to stay out of the sun. I never seen anything so more deplorable. I mean, did anybody think about this? I mean, this is for votes. They want to get votes. Meanwhile, they're, they're, they're ruining the cities. I mean, how much money are we pouring into this this problem, Curtis? Insane. Bobby, you saw it with your own eyes right there in the Grand Central, the epicenter of the city, is the old Roosevelt Hotel. It had been empty for years. It was owned by the Pakistani government, one of the most corrupt in the world, and the mayor ended up giving them millions of dollars. He bought that hotel, but there's no transparency. All the information is redacted. Nancy, my wife, is doing the deep dive to try to unravel all of the non-transparency so we can report who got what and uh, how much money we had to pay ultimately for that. And now they claim there's not enough room in there, so they're letting the people sleep out in the streets? And the people were threatening to riot, and they tried to bum-rush their way in. They had to bring in the cops. They had to bring in additional private security. And then finally, to assuage them, they brought in buses that are now surrounding the Roosevelt Hotel. They're putting them inside the buses so that they can have an air-conditioned night. But in a few hours, what are they going to do with all these people, Bobby? Curtis, remember, it started insidiously in the wintertime. They They were shipping them up to Westchester Airport. They were flying them in. Everybody was denying it. Now it's just a full-blown torrent of these buses coming. I don't. What's the What's the end game, Curtis? Uh, thanks for Thanks for making the call, Curtis. Bye-bye. No, understood, Bobby. Uh, let's give credit where credit is due. The former Westchester County Executive Bobby Astorino, who is on our uh, our WABC uh, lineup Saturdays uh, hours ago, right after Left versus Right, with yours truly and Anthony Weiner. Uh, Bob Astorino on from four to five. He was the first to report to all of, of us over two years ago that the Biden administration was sending in overnight flights to Westchester County Airport right near Armonk and then loading them onto buses. The buses would then go down the Hutchinson Parkway in the wrong direction with lights and bells and whistles and a police escort. And they were dropped off at 103rd Street, right underneath another seven train in Corona in Elmhurst. And they would just scatter into the night. Eric Adams knew this. Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb knew this. And they acted like they had window shades on their eyes, cotton balls in their uh, ears, and a zipper on their mouth. They denied it. And then Rob Astorino went to uh, Newburgh, to Orange County. And it's Stewart, uh, Stewart, the Air Force Base. They were flying in these unmarked uh, jets late at night with illegal aliens and doing exactly the same thing. And again, there was no response from Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, no response from uh, Papa Chulo Joe Biden, who was actually encouraging illegals to come in across the Texas border. Uh, He was doing that, remember, in that second debate with Donald Trump in Cleveland, was telling them, if I become president, hey, I'm your Papa Chulo, I'm your, well, who's your daddy? Come on over. And they did. They were wearing shirts. Papa Chulo, Joe Biden. And he opened up the floodgates. And look at it now. Destroying our city, neighborhood by neighborhood. You got to stand. You got to fight for your right to live in peace with a good quality of life, with the amount of taxes that you pay, with the fact that you have corrupt elected officials in a Democratic-controlled state, a Democratic-controlled city. You need a balance of power. 
Look, you can't trust Republicans. You can't trust Democrats. It's got to be verify, and then you can trust them because they're just going to lie. It's all about the money. That's what this has become, a huge money train. That's all they're interested in is all the ancillary dollars that go to services for the illegal aliens. They redact the figures. They claim it's all under the provision of the Emergency Powers Act that a mayor can just sign anything script. The the governor can sign script. We saw that in the middle of the lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020. Bill de Blasio was signing executive order after executive order, agreeing to pay for millions of dollars, no bid contracts to all of his cronies and friends and supporters. Likewise, that's what Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, is doing, and Kathy Crimewave Holcomb. They love this because it allows them to spend unlimited amounts of dollars without having to explain anything under the cover that, well, this is part of the emergency act uh, of what a governor or a mayor has to do in order to uh, stabilize the situation. Let's go to Rick and Patterson. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rick. Hey, Curtis. Um, I know you're aware that last week Mick Jagger celebrated his 80th birthday. Were you aware of that? Uh, yes, I was aware of that. But I, as you note, uh, earlier in the program, I couldn't figure out how Ziggy Stardust, a.k.a. David Bowie, chose to get in bed with Mick Jagger instead of his drop-dead gorgeous wife from, uh, I believe it was Somalia, Imam. You know, the freaks come out at night. So uh, those two were on the top of the list. But uh, the reason I'm calling you is I want to make a suggestion for the uh, theme song for the Swagger Man with no plan, and that's uh, Shattered by the Rolling Stones. Are you aware of that song? You've heard it? Yes. Oh, I've heard it. Shattered. Uh, By the way, you mentioned Mick Jagger is 80. You know who will soon be 80 and following in his footsteps? Keith Richards. That's right, who looks like a cadaver in formaldehyde. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, how that guy has survived. He's had a shank in his arm. They just like uh, heroin, meth, fentanyl. It's one chemical cocktail. Uh, and he just ingests it all and somehow takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Oh, but wait a second. Here you go. Here, here you go. You requested it. Pick a pan here on the American Bandstand with Curtis Lewa. Let's hear it. Let's try it out. Let's see if it fits. I like this, Rick. In fact, I think we're going to open up our floodgates here to all of our listeners. If they have suggestions like Rick for a theme song, a rotating theme songs, actually, plural, that every time we talk about Eric Adams, Swagger Man with No Plan, we can play that as a theme song. I like this choice of yours. Rolling Stone Shattered. Oh, this is great, Rick. Shattered. It's so good, Rick. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 
Let's go to Billy, who's calling from Rockland County. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Billy. Yeah, Curtis, how are you doing? Great show. So I'm listening to this Norm Layden report the drowning incident this morning, and Norm Layden sucks you in thinking that the guy might have lived when all along he knew that the guy died just to get a cheap, you know, news headline. Norm Layden is a jerk. Hold on a second, Billy. Uh, I normally don't defend the honor of Norm Layden, but um, remember, he had just walked in the door to do the news. Uh, he might not have been sure if that young man had perished or not. Uh, he knew. He knew. It's like he made you think that the guy was going to live and the guy had a chance because he was living when they pulled him out of the water. But the guy died at the hospital. So Norm Layden says, oh, the guy was living when they pulled him out of the water. And he's making you think that the guy lived. You're rooting for the guy to be alive. Then he tells you that he died at the hospital when all along he knew that. So he's, like, pulling us around. Wow, hold on a second, boy. You're picky, 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 Billy. Come on now. No, even I was under that impression. Now, you're talking about there were two young men, unfortunately, who perished, one in Coney Island and one in Reese Park in the Rockaways. Uh, they went out swimming in an area they should have been shouldn't have been swimming because there were no lifeguards you are referring, I think, to the uh, young man in Coney Island, correct? Yeah, I believe I am. I'm not totally sure. But well, you he... see, you're not even sure of which <laughs> one it is. <laughs> and you're busting the stones of Noam Layden, who I oftentimes don't defend. By the way, uh, Noam Layden has been known to jump into a hot tub with Steve Fulop, the mayor of Jersey City. They both live in the Heights. And... Uh, Let's just say they get very friendly with one another because I know what uh, game Noam Layden is up to. Originally, he was birthed in Trenton before it became a blood uh, city. And then all of a sudden, he came to New York City and he got fired here at the original WABC because Sid Rosenberg went into the program director at that time and had him fired. And I went in to defend Noam Layden. They didn't listen to me. They listened to Sid Rosenberg. And so he was exiled to women's only radio, WOR, where he was a person of no confidence, consequence, excuse me. Then all of a sudden he comes back. It's like homecoming with Sid. Sid forgets he's the one who had him fired. Oh, I love you, Noam. I love you, Noam. I say, Noam, I had your back. Not Sid. Sid stabbed you in the back. Stop kissing his tukas. He goes, well, you know, I got... I don't want to get fired again. I got all these kids I got to feed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. God, you see. And Billy takes shots. You see that, Broadway Billy? Come on, Noam Layden coming in on Saturday to do the news. He didn't know yet if the young man had perished from the undertow, from the riptide, uh, from succumbing uh, before he was taken to hospital. Boy, that, that, was a, that was a cheap shot at Noam Layden. If anybody's going to make a cheap shot at Noam Layden, let it be me. Not Billy from Rockland County. I can't believe I'm defending the honor of Noam Layden. By the way, you should know about Noam Layden. He actually went to commie camp when he was a kid. Communist youth camp. And his uh, camp counselor was Matt Drudge, believe it or not. And instead of raising the American flag at the start of the camp day, they were raising the Soviet Union flag and singing international in French. He was a red diaper doper baby, Noam Layden. And it's still reflected in his newscast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I listen intently. 
as you should listen. Notice, he's very much like Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite was a communist. No doubt about it. My father, Chester, merchant seaman, 54 years. He would come home. He would see Walter Cronkite on on Channel 2 CBS. He would say, hey, we don't watch Walter Cronkite in this household. He's a communist. Turn on David uh, Brinkley and Chet Huntley of NBC, which actually uh, I preferred because uh, you got two guys instead of one. One guy was reading the teleprompter. That was uh, Walter Cronkite. Where at NBC, you had... David Brinkley and Chet Huntley reading the teleprompter. Two is always better than one. Hey, yeah, it was a commie. My father said he was a commie, so Broadway Billy, if my father Chester said that Walter Cronkite was a commie, then he's a commie. Who would know better than my dad, member of the National Maritime Union, that had to fight off the Red Scare time and time again as the communists tried to take over the National Maritime Union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Wobblies. Does anybody out there know who the Wobblies were? Oh, yeah, this will be a real brain buster. Who were the Wobblies? What was their person in, uh, purpose in being? And how extreme did they get, the Wobblies? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, let's go to Andy and Yonkers. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Andy. Anyway, uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, listen, I just wanted to know, because uh, your call taker is also a brother, I wanted to know, why. what are your thoughts on the fact, Curtis, you were one of the most intelligent men on the radio and highly informed? What are your thoughts on the fact? Is this a psyop, a psychological operation that black in the media is always capitalized, but white never is? I mean, I had a girlfriend... My first girlfriend, Felicia, and Felicia, if you're out there, I still think of you fondly, but she was black. And, like, why is it that in the media, black is always capitalized, but white never is? Now, let me ask you a question, Andy. Yeah. Uh, you, you gave me the big buildup. You chewed my shorts. You pulled my chain by stroking yeah. me. I know you were going with that. Then all of a sudden, you say, oh, but I had a black girlfriend. You know, that was my first love, right? Right. That, you, you were really trying to butter me up. And then you say, why is black spelled with a capital B and white with a small uncapitalized W? So it's like I, always diminutive. I mean, are they like putting us down? Are like, are we as white boys always like derivative and like they mm. upraise? I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing nothing. Like I'm not, I'm not doing that. What? No, 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 no. Now wait a second. Now, Andy, where in Yonkers do you live? Do you live near? Um, Schlobein, Getty well, Square. Unfortunately, I live in the Bronxville zip code, 10708. All right? So we're right next to East Chester. Everybody is rich. Everybody lives in Tudor mansions. And I happen to be middle class. But the fact of the matter is, man, I used to be in hiring. I was, I was hiring. That was my job at Choice Carrier Systems. I was hiring whether the brothers came off at a prison barge from Rikers smelling of vodka or whether they were like... Nuwabian, black supremacists, I would hire them. They were in, man. They knew the work. You were in the job. But the fact of the matter is, I just wanted to know what your opinion is. Well, well, let me let me give you my opinion, Andy. How can you ask the white boy about this? We got to put the question to uh, the church guy here. I don't know if you were paying attention to that conversation. You generally ignore white people's conversations here, Avery, but Andy said it best. Why, when you read the newspaper and they're talking about black and white, 
black is capitalized, the B, white is not. It's a small letter. I have noticed that too, Avery. How do you explain that? Is that a form of reparations instead of 40 acres in a mule? Every time your color is referred to, it's in capitals, whereas my color, the Caucasoid, uh, Caucasoids that we are, it's in small C, small W, white. Um, does it start a sentence? Oh, oh, so, oh, you're going to kick some uh, English uh, grammatical uh, performance at me instead of answering a simple question. Why is black with a capital B and white with a small W? Um, I don't know. You have to call a newspaper or something, man. <laughs> I don't know what you, what you want you to You think you could actually get through to a newspaper? No. You think those those numbers that they ever say to you, call this number and you can get through that, not a, a newspaper, but a company or anything. Nobody ever answers those Ab- phones. Absolutely not. But Curtis Lee would know somebody that works with the newspaper. Oh, damn right I do. That's what I'm saying. Uh, hmm, Interesting. I'm going to have to go through the newspapers this morning. I get the hard copies. I get, of course, the Post. I get the Daily News. I get, yeah, I get Long Island Newsday. You know plenty of people that probably work in newspapers. Uh, yeah, I know the guys who are the bundlers <laughs> who bless the bundles as they go down the assembly line, the feather-bedded uh, jobs uh, from the mob. I'm talking that. the columnists. Oh, 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 oh yeah, but they like wouldn't that. know. They wouldn't know. Why wouldn't they know? They write it. Yeah, they know, but it's the editors who, rejig- who rejigger it. So, for instance, you're the columnist. Let's say you're Mike Lupica, uh, you right? Say, you say the editors go back Yeah, yeah, let's. Say you're Mike Lupica at the Daily News. Excellent columnist, sucked as a talk show host, both at ESPN uh, and on television. And they wanted to give him the job here to replace Geraldo uh, Rivera when he was told Sayonara. Remember, he was on from 10 to 12. They wanted Mike Lupica here instead of Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg. And I walked into the offices of Chad Lopez and I said, You can't do that. This guy, Lupica, sucks on the radio. Plus, he wants to do it from his basement in New Canaan, Connecticut. Could you get any more elite and privileged than that? And Chad listened to me, and he said, what the hell did you just say? Do not hire Mike Lupica. Hable Ingles. You know, his last name is Lopez. I had to speak to him in English, you know. Well, we better get used to the fact that English is not going to be the uh, main language of the United States. It's going to be maybe not even a secondary language at the rate we're going. But thank God Chad Lopez listened to me, and he hired Bernard McGurk, who wanted Sid Rosenberg brought up from Florida, which they did, 10 to 12. And then eventually they replaced Imus in the morning, who did not want them to have their own program. He did. He pro- He was promoting the idea of having Mike Lupica do a talk radio program from 10 to 12. The guy is a great columnist. He can always get a column in on time, even if you give him a deadline that is precariously close. He's good at that. But let's face it, I saw him on ESPN, Talk TV on Sunday mornings, that collection of uh, talking heads. He sucked on that, and he sucked worse doing uh, ESPN Talk radio and Broadway, Billy. I don't want you to say that sour grapes because I got fired doing the Curtis Lee was Super Sports Spectacular at ESPN Radio. I was hired by uh, a guy who does not believe in uh, uh, marital contraception, Tim McCarthy, who had more kids than I thought any one person could have. 
And after he had me following Warner Wolf on Saturday mornings, Warner Wolf was on from 6 to 10. Your pal there that you play shuffleboard with when you go down to check on your condo down in Fort Myers, Florida, on the West Coast. Yeah, I know you do that, Broadway Bill Lee. He did 6 to 10 on Saturdays, and I did 10 to 12 Yankee and Met Talk. And the boys in Bristol had me fired. They, they picked up the phone. They said, Tim McCarthy, where did you get that street urchin? Tim McCarthy said, what are you talking about? He's a great talk show host. No, no, no. Send them back to WABC because you know something? We do not want the guy making fun of baseball commissioner Bud Selig. He says that he's wearing high waters and he's got a bad rug on his head. And when Tim McCarthy said, will you retract that? I said, hell no, it's true. You're fired. I had to get that off my chest. Let's go to Frank, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Frank. Good to talk to you, Curtis. I got two songs for you. One for the illegal aliens or for the mayor would be Free Ride by uh, Edgar Winter. And for the Dylan Mulvaneys and the transgenders and everything, you could use My Dingling by Chuck Berry. I was walking around and everyone was staring. And I was like, oh, okay, what's going on? And they were all staring directly at my crotch. And I went, oh, I forgot that my crotch doesn't look like other women's crotches sometimes because mine doesn't look like a little Barbie pocket. Now let me ask you a question, Frank. You mentioned Chuck Berry, the favorite of uh, uh, Bruce Morrow, a.k.a. Cousin Brucey. But Chuck Berry was a pedophile on a pedestal, so I object to that. Uh, Dingling song. I object to that. What was the song, the other song you had suggested, Frank? Free ride for the, either the mayor or the illegal aliens. I like that. I like that. Edgar Winter, and you know, he had a brother also. Both of them were albinos. Did you know that, Frank? Yeah, I know. I just got into them recently. Edgar Winter is a musical genius, in my opinion. He plays all instruments and everything. And he and his brother... We're albinos. You know how difficult it is to be an albino and survive when you're going out on a torturous tour and everybody's making fun of you? I salute yes. you, Frank. This is an excellent song, one that will be in the mix every time we talk about Eric Adams, Swagger Man, with no plan. Crank it up. Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Get down, get down. 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 Get down, get down.
original, cool, and gang. Jersey City, the junction. me lose all my whiteness. for that, even though I hate them for being followers of Scooey Louie Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. Yep, yep. I got to separate the music from their ideology. Exactly. So good. So good. Let's go, uh, if we can, to uh, Bobby, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. Yeah, hi, Curtis. Good morning. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have three things. One, I wanted to mention uh, Janis Joplin, that she has a soul voice, and she was a white girl from Texas with red hair and freckles, and she had, like, a lot of soul coming out of her her voice. And then uh, another thing, two more things. Uh, One song is for Eric Eric Adams, Nowhere Man by the Beatles, because I know you don't like the Beatles, but Nowhere Man suits him. Oh, no, no, I like that. I like that. Nowhere Man by the Beatles. Okay, we'll try that out. Go ahead. Go ahead, Bobby. And the one for the immigrants, Hit the Road Jack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Hit the Road Jack. Now, you mentioned Janis Joplin. You're right. Yes. Uh, Janis Joplin, unfortunately, it was at a time when the big three died. Back-to-back, belly-to-belly, you had Janis Joplin. You had Jim, uh, Morrison. Jim Morrison. And you had... Yes. Uh, Jimi Hendrix. Exactly. All three died within a very yeah. short period of time. But I think Janis Joplin, some of it can be attributed to the fact that she would be drinking like a bottle of Southern Comfort up there on the stage. Man, that is like... The 27 Club. The 27 Club, they say. Yeah. The Man, I... at the age of 27. And Jim Morrison, too. When I was able to drink... 
I could barely drink a glass of Southern Comfort, and she'd knock out a whole bottle. A whole... She had to drink before she would perform. That was the only way she could sing. A whole bottle, though. Wow. Her voice, my God, mercy, her mercy, her voice is excellent. I concur. I concur. Southern Comfort. Yeah. Let's flip from Bobby to Joe, calling all the way from Michigan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joe. Hi, Curtis. Black was capitalized because using a small, small B was demeaning, and white didn't need to be capitalized because white is the majority population in the United States. That came out in the mid-1980s. I was at the University of Michigan at the time. There was a group called the United Coalition Against Racism, and that was one of the things that they pointed out, and uh, that's what happened. So let me get this straight. You were at Ann Arbor, University of Michigan. This came out in a study, and it had nothing to do with once you've had black, you always come back. No, no, it was just uh, purely a syntax thing. Being a small b was disrespectful and, uh, and degrading. So Now, wait a second. What does that make Ant be? Uh, I'm not sure. Other than old, I, I don't know. Wait a second. We, it, it it all takes us back to Mayberry RFT. Did you ever watch Mayberry RFT when you were growing up, Joe? I'm trying to block that out of my mind. Yeah, but I, I did. I, I never did. saw a black person in any of the episodes of Mayberry RFT. That was the whitest show that I ever saw, Joe. I agree with that. Why, why could they not find one part for a black man? I mean, they had Goma Pyle, Goober, right, going, golly! They had his cousin. They every conceivable white three-eyed cousin fornicator imaginable they had in Mayberry RFT. But they couldn't find one black guy in all of North Carolina. Come on, Joe. Well, maybe they couldn't find one that was weird enough to be... Um on the show. And, and that was a so, delicate situation, Curtis. That was delicate. I watched I watched one episode of that. Yep. If you made like any one of those characters black, you would have had you would have had a, 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 some picketing. You think so? Yeah. Hmm. You had to, you had to pick the right character. But to now, make black. now now with your education and your pedigree, Avery, you heard what Joe said, graduate, proud graduate, University of Michigan Ann Arbor said that that Spelling black when it referred to race, not the color of uh, your Crayola crayon, but when it referred to the color of your skin, if it was a small b, that would be demeaning. Do you concur with that? Uh, look, it doesn't matter what I think, man. I mean, uh, yeah, because uh, from now on, I'm just spelling uh, yeah, black <laughs> man Avery with a small b. I'm sorry, Joe. I have to uh, contest that study because. I am surrounded by brothers here. I'm the only show that has all brothers, Joe. I, I understand that. Yeah, I understand. Uh, I'm a minority here. Was... Well, since we're doing it, we might as well keep doing it. 
So on, in your case, then maybe you'd want to capitalize white and leave the, the B a small case since you're the um, well, minority. no, because you see, I'm the, I'm the Caucasian, like both, I'm the Caucasian persuasion, I'm the snow bro. Uh, so no, 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 I, I'm gonna let that slide. I'm gonna keep it exactly the way it is. Yeah, let's keep it how it is. We, you know, it's already, you know, everybody's used to it. Exactly. Yeah, let's keep it how it is. Black is better than white, right? That's why you have a capital B and we have a small W, right? See, oh, right. Mayberry RFD. Listen to music. <laughs> You can't, there's no black guy in this show. Not one. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, with this music, there's no black guy in this show. <laughs> the show that will play this music does not have a black guy in it. Not a black woman, not a black uh, guy, not a black child. Yeah, there was something, there was something weird going on in that town. The, the black people avoided it. Opie, I mean, Opie didn't have a black friend. They always like to try to show, oh, yeah, white kids in the South would always have a black child as their yeah. friend growing up. <laughs> He didn't even have a black child who was a friend of his in Mayberry RFD. Yeah, not even the maids of the son that used to come with her to work. I'm telling you, I, I, that was the whitest program I ever saw in my life. Mayberry, uh, the, um, Andy Griffin show was, 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 was that way too. Yeah, but they, that's Andy Griffin, right? Mayberry RFD. Yeah, that, that, was, that was black and white. And, I is... mean, let's face it, Barney Fife, was he not the ultimate white guy? He was, he, was, he, was, uh, he was funny. In fact, if you had a black guy in there, he'd probably so intimidate Barney Fife that he would uh, die of cardia, cardiac arrest. <laughs> guy was afraid of his own shadow. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. We've come full circle. Summer madness, that's what this summer has been. As much as I love this heat, I love it. I'd want it to be hotter. I love, love the fact that I could be in my red sateen jacket hermetically sealed up with my wool red beret. And it's like I'm in a schwitz. And I love the humidity. Yeah, I can't get enough of that good, sweet stuff. The rest of you are wondering he's out of his mind, right? That's why we call it Summer Madness. And then, of course, the flip side of that is Winter Sadness. And you know what brings our Winter Sadness, Broadway, Billy and Avery? The fact that we have no freaking snow anymore. Winter Sadness is one thing I really wish... And my three sons could have experienced was brutal winters with mounds and mounds of snow. Real snow days to take off from school, not just a little spritz on the asphalt or the sidewalks. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, when we were kids, if you went to Catholic school, you always had to go to school because back then the nuns were there in the convent. And most of them were the teachers. So all they had to do was walk a few uh, dozen feet to open up the school. So you had to go to school. Whereas the kids in the public school, oh, this is great. Oh, yeah. Sing it, cool in the gang. Sing it. 
Thing roasting chestnuts, man. That's in a lot of songs. Yeah, well, you know, in the old winters, that's what they would do. They'd stand on the corner and roast chestnuts. Have you ever roasted chestnuts? Hell no. That's, okay, that's a waspy thing. Thank man. you. Ro- who's roasting chestnuts? It's in every song, like ro- roasting chestnuts. Yeah, well, it's a waspy thing. You know, they want roasted chestnuts. What is that like? Acorns or something? Bigger than acorns. A chestnut. You never had a chestnut. No. Before. I don't know what a chestnut. What is that? Like a walnut or something? Wow, you've really been culturally deprived, Avery. Oh yeah, the last time you had chestnuts. It's a white thing, man. Oh okay. Like black a, black people don't have chestnuts. It's like an almond or something? Well, close. See, whatever nut, whatever nut I say, you keep saying close, not quite. What is it? I'm sort of recognizing that you were deprived. <laughs> you didn't learn how to swim, and you didn't learn about chestnuts I told you, I know roasting how to swim. on an open fire. I know how to swim. Mm. No, the other thing, no, chestnuts roast on an open fire. Oh, it's in every song. Even Cooler the Gang sings about it. I know. It. That's what made me say something. But I have winter sadness because my three sons will never go through a winter like I used to go through when I was their age. 20 foot of snow. Still have to go to school because the nuns were there. And the public school kids, they were at home throwing snowballs at one another with rocks in it. Oh, those were the days. Oh. And then a bus would pass by. And the bus would have the chains on the back wheels, you know, to avoid getting stuck in the snow and the ice and the sleet. And then you'd make one of them big snowballs with a rock right inside and throw it at the bus as it was passing by. And all of a sudden, the bus driver would put on the brakes, open the door, and come running after you with a big stick. You know what we used to call that stick, uh, Broadway Bill Lee? Can't repeat it on the airwaves here. That's when the bus driver was the sheriff of the bus, and you did not mess around with Ralph Cramden. Because if you did, you could run, but you couldn't hide when you were trapped in the back of the bus. He would come back there with the stick and say, now you mine. You mine, suckers. And he put a whooping on you, and then you go home and complain to your mommy or daddy. And right away, they look at you and say, well, what did you do to deserve that whooping by that bus driver? Now, you'd want to sue the MTA, the money-taking agency, even though you deserve that beatdown. Oh, those were the days. And then, remember, you'd hold on to the back of the bus, and you'd go skiing along as if you were Jean-Claude Keeley. So good. Summer... Sadness. No, summer madness. Winter sadness. Uh, you hear that bass? So good. Just think that came right from across the Hudson River, Jersey City, just like Sugar Hill came from. Uh, 
Teaneck, what is that? Teaneck, Englewood, Englewood Cliffs, Cliffside Park, swings all day and after dark like Palisades Park, Fort Lee, Alpine, Tenafly. Oh, so good. And yet I had to bifurcate. As much as I knew that the old cool in the gang followed Elijah Muhammad, screwy Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam, I played that vinyl over and over and over. Jungle Fever, Hollywood Swinging, Summer Madness, Winter Sadness. It was the best of times. Oh, so good. Oh, yeah. Oh. Tell me I don't have the touch, ladies and gentlemen. Tell me I don't have the most eclectic musical sense that you have ever been exposed to, and yet I do not have a musical program here at WABC. Why is that? Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Drugs, no more sleeping, no more doing barbecues on the subway system. I got it, I got it. No more barbecues on the subway system. Hot bubble baths with. Warm weather, weather, warm roses sitting inside. Let me tell you something, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. You can do us all a solid. Take off those $5,000 customized suits that Pablo Escobar, when he was riding Heidi in the saddle, the head of the Medellin cartel in Colombia, would have envied. Not a, not a thread of cotton in those suits, all silk. Just showed your... Street credibility from the streets to the sleep, you know. <laughs> Let me tell you, Brother Adams, it's time for you to take a posse in a port of prince in Haiti. All hell's breaking loose there. I'm getting reports from Guardian Angels in Port au Prince, where I've spent some time right after the uh, earthquake. And let me tell you, it is bad there. Gangs have taken over. On one side of the street, they've chased out the cops, chased out the military, chased out the United Nations peacekeepers. 
And on the other side of the street are local vigilantes who are just like killing gangbangers and hanging them from the nearest trees. It's all out anarchy. And now what the hell is the United States going to do because we're partly responsible for all the craziness going on in Haiti. We've destabilized their leadership. They become dependent on us. This is what happens when you have dependency. All of a sudden, you have a crisis, and right away, Big Daddy, Papa Chulo, has to step in the United States. Well, this time, let's stay out of it, and let's send Trudeau Jr. with Canadian troops in there to restore the order. Hey, Trudeau, with your country of 40 million, when I've been to Montreal, every freaking cab driver is Haitian, and they speak, yeah, they speak a little French, but they speak Creole. And we got so many Haitians here with New York City. And I ask them always, are you going back? And they say, not to Port-au-Prince. I mean, that's a big news story. Haiti gets destabilized any more than it is. They're going to be tens of thousands of people on ramshackled boats. They'll be floating on plywood by any means possible. They'll be trying to take take any form of water transit across the sea that separates them from Lake Worth in Florida. It's almost a direct line to Haiti. In fact, once a week, a boat comes in from Haiti and does trade. Uh, all kinds of products uh, that are manufactured in Haiti are brought right into the port. Uh, port, uh, port of Lake Worth right there, Riviera Beach. Actually, it's Riviera Beach right there in Palm Beach County. And I'm telling you, it it behooves us to stabilize Haiti because if this destabilization continues, you're going to have a lot of Haitians who are going to be trying to get into this country by sea, by air, across the border, on the border, by any means possible. As a country is at the point with its total anarchy. We're not even talking a political revolution. We're just talking anarchy there. And if we're not going to get involved, hey, Trudeau Jr. in Ottawa, do something for once instead of complaining. Get your troops in there. Get your Canadian, uh, what can we call it, public safety forces in there and help stabilize Haiti. Help stabilize Port-au-Prince which is now going up in flames. The United States Embassy has ordered all non-necessary personnel to vacate the island. They said things are so out of control. People can be slaughtered any moment, dragged out of their houses and gunned down in the streets. That's already taking place. Gangs are lighting up fires in the streets of Port-au-Prince, blocking traffic. And vigilantes are coming after them, armed vigilantes, and shooting them dead right in front of everybody, warning them, you come into our neighborhood, you will die. You will die. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is the theme song for Dominic Carter, who is really coming to his own. Of late, he's been taking on more responsibilities here at WABC. And he's been getting down and on the down low and talking about subjects that you never hear in talk radio, especially as it uh, 
affects uh, mental health and emotionally disturbed persons in a way that I've never heard anybody in talk radio delve into. So a salute to him and a salute in the fact that he is, let's face it, the only guy who travels with his own theme song. That's here, the Big Mac Daddy song. And the guy who wants to be our Big Mac Daddy is Eric Adams, Swagger Man with no plan. So where was he over the weekend? He was down in Houston at some black conference involving failed mayors in the United States, the socialist in Chicago, the congresswoman in L.A., and I forget where the other mayor was from. I don't think it was Baltimore, Body Bag City. The guy I saw was a bit older than the young whippersnapper in uh, Body Bag City, uh, Baltimore. But anyway, they were moaning and uh, complaining that the media is not treating them fair and square. Listen to Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, as he was wearing a $5,000 customized suit with that little handkerchief in his pocket protected air. Man, here it is, playing the race card. Mayor Adams offered a stinging rebuke of the media, saying that blacks in many professions are covered differently and that reporting is sometimes, as he puts it, intentionally destructive. CBS 2's political reporter Marsha Kramer says the mayor's comments came during an Urban League conference in Houston with other black mayors. Three days into his term as mayor, Eric Adams made it abundantly clear he thought the city needed a chief executive with his vibrant style. We need a mayor, a swagger. So it was in keeping with his swagger that he let loose on the media, saying it pressures black men to keep their opinions and passions to themselves so they won't be thought of as an angry black man. We are so afraid of getting the, the title that could destroy our lives. If you get the title of angry black man, you will not raise up in corporate society, you will not raise up in Hollywood, you will not raise up on a sports team, you will not raise up on politics. The comments came at an Urban League conference with other big city black mayors lamenting that the media in their cities often failed to give them credit for their successes. Adams admitted that some criticism comes with a job, but... There's a difference between critiquing and doing a proper analysis of what you have done and being intentionally destructive. I asked former Governor David Patterson, who ascended to the job after Elliot Spitzer had to resign in a sex scandal, if he felt a special sting from the press because of his race. A lot of times the media has made black men look remissive. In other words, not serious. It's just something that uh, I think doesn't just happen to black men, but it happens to Hispanic men and it happens to women of all uh, ethnicities. Did you ever feel pressure not to uh, get angry at these stories that were demeaning to you? Yes, I did not react to these stories because I knew it was just going to lead to more stories. And with me, it wasn't just the fact that I was a black man. The, the harshest treatment, I thought, came from the fact that I'm blind. And since he is a mayor of swagger, his honor made it clear he's going to do his own press. Eric Adams unfiltered, so to speak. He just started his own radio show, and he is making regular community appearances. I'm Marcia Kramer, CBS 2 News. Marcia, did you listen to his radio show on WBLS? It sucked last Sunday. It's like the worst thing I've ever heard on radio. In fact, Broadway, Bill Lee. WBLS is owned by a conglomerate called Emmis. It's a good organization. They run a really good website for their stations, WBLS and uh, Hot 97. More drugs, more gangs, more drive-bys, more gangbanging. 
If you notice, they don't even have a picture of the mayor up there. They don't have a link to his first broadcast that was done uh, in City Hall on a remote, which made it sound horrible. And his phone screener was his son, Jordan. It was a debacle. I mean, I've heard a lot of bad talk radio programs, some of them right here at WABC. They will remain nameless. They still exist. Oh, God, listening to them, I would rather get waterboarded by uh, uh, Vice President Cheney uh, in uh, Gitmo. I really would. I'd rather be impaled by this microphone. Some of them, they have no idea how to do a talk radio program. They think you just talk into the microphone. And that's exactly what Eric Adams, Swagger Man with No Plan, thinks. That he's somehow going to do a show on WBLS Sunday mornings, 1030 to 11, when generally they lease the time to a black reverend and charge him a dollar a holler. It was horrible. In fact, you know WBLS knew it was horrible. They wouldn't even put a link up to the broadcast. Normally they'd be proud. Yeah, once a week, the mayor of the city of New York. Nope. They realized, man, it's time for Eric Adams, Swagger Man with No Plan, to be enrolled in a talk radio boot camp. And the first thing we're going to boot is his son, Jordan. He can't be his phone screener. God. Yo, man, maybe we could put you on loan, Avery. What do you think? You could become the producer of the uh, Eric Adams show at WBLS, and you could be his phone screener, and you can teach him Sliwa style. What do you think, Avery? How about we loan you out? You know, as a as a sign of friendship, you know, to try to make amends. Because this has nothing to do with him being mayor. This has to do with him being on my turf, being a talk radio show host. And I hate bad talk radio. I really do. Oh, yeah, not, not going not gonna to consider it, huh? Uh, Yeah, nah, man, I'm all right. I mean, brother to brother, man. Come on. Brother to brother. I mean, his his son was horrible phone screening. Horrible. That was one show. He'll get better, right? No, no, no. He ain't going to get better. You know, it's first of all, he's going to miss half the Sundays. You can't do that. You got to. Oh, that's true. Can we enroll him in talk radio boot camp? Can you be the, uh, the DI drill sergeant and shape him up, Avery? <laughs> it wasn't matter if he's not going to be there half the time anyway. Man, what the hell do you even bother doing it for? That's my point. It was, the son's not going to work half the Man, time. Man, I'm telling you, this guy's lost. This guy is really lost. If the Raiders are bad, he's going to find some way to get out of it anyway and just kill the whole, the whole show. Let's go to Robert in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. Good morning, Curtis. Okay, a couple of quick things. Uh, next time you talk to your friend Dominic Carter, tell him to leave the grandson of the president alone. We don't make war on kids, Curtis. Come on. I mean, WABC, I've heard a lot of stuff. I mean, is there no shame on some of you broadcasters? I know what you're out to do. You're out to embarrass the administration. Okay, that's your right. This is America. But come on, we don't, uh, we don't make war on grandchildren, okay? Please. I mean, Dominic Carter should be smarter than that. All right. Television programs. You mentioned programs that had no blacks. There are a lot of programs in the 60s and 70s that had no blacks. You mentioned uh, 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 May Barry RFD, the Andy Griffith Show, uh, Goomer Pyle. How about Donna Reed? How about Leave It to Beaver? You didn't see any blacks on any of those shows. 
All of those comedy shows of the 60s, they were mighty whitey. You know that, and I know it. But hold on a second. Wait a second. North Carolina is a state with a lot of African Americans. Leave it to Beaver was somewhere in the heartland of America. You mean to tell me, Robert, there should never have been any blacks in Mayberry RFD in a no, place like North been. Carolina? You're absolutely, you're absolutely right, but I'm telling you that that was the way it was across the board. Look. Curtis, you know, if you know the history of Hollywood and the history of television, there were certain attitudes, okay? I want to switch. I'm going to ask you a question. Did you ever see a Western, whether it was the Lone Ranger, whether it was this, whether it was that, where all of the Mexicans were nothing but bandits, the, 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 the Frito Bandito? Did you ever see, you ever see any, uh, did you ever see any Mexicans that were wholesome people, good people? No, they were all bandits. You, you know, they were Juan Molina, all that stuff. Okay. Hold on a second. To... Hold on. I, I disagree with you because oh. my favorite program as a child growing up was Zorro. And Zorro, ah, Zorro but, was uh, a Mexicano. Hold on. hold on one second. First of all, you want to know the history of Zorro. Zorro happens to be a character that came out of California, according to Disney. First of all, Disney was wrong. The name Zorro, or the character Zorro, was known in the Pyrenees, was known in Iberia ages before California. Zorro was a, was a figure from oral tradition, that is from tradition, from folklore. When it got to Disney, of course, it became very famous with Guy Williams, and uh, you saw Sergeant uh, Gonzalez, the fat sergeant who, uh, who loved to sit in the cantina and drink with, uh, oh, you know, with uh, Don Diego de la Vega. He, you know, he he did his Zorro thing. Do you know, by the way, that the name Zorro was also the name that was often given to the outlaw Joaquin Murrieta. He was known as Zorro the Fox or El Patrio. Now, I want to answer a question that you asked about an hour and a half ago. You want to know about the Wobblies? I can tell you about the Wobblies. The industrial workers of the world, they were called the I Won't Works, IWW. They were started by Big Bill Hayward in the early 20th century. They were very strong in the, in the Pacific West Coast ports from San Diego all the way up to Seattle and Portland. They were a super progressive some would say radical uh, uh, group. They were interested in the rights of workers. One of their members was the famous legendary Joe Hill, who, of course, was executed by the cops, in, by the authorities in Salt Lake City for a crime he didn't commit. And uh, I happen to know a gentleman who, unfortunately, is no longer with us, who was a true wobbly. He was a famous musician, storyteller. He rode the rails. He was a hobo. For many years. His name was Bruce Phillips. They called him U Utah Phillips, the golden voice of the great Southwest. And what a singer he was. He knew all the Wobbly songs. And I happen to have a copy of the Wobbly songbook in my music library. How about that? Well, you know, that's one song that won't be played here on WABC. <laughs> Hobo, that was Art Linkletter. Anybody remember Art Linkletter as maybe the most famous hobo of all time? And now that uh, Robert brought up the name of my favorite TV star of all time, Guy Williams. Where was Guy Williams from? Yeah, local guy.
Guy Williams. And what was his ethnic background? I bet you a lot of you folks out there watched Zorro just as I did. In fact, I imitated Zorro. I was living in Chicago at the time, four-floor walk-up, Coldwater Flat, all wooden building in Chicago, Southside, 46, and Rockwell, right near the stockyards, right near Bridgeport, where the Irish live, where the Daly family lived. And I would go up and down the back steps playing Zorro. I had my Zorro outfit. I had my sword. And I was, like, knocking out kids going up and down the steps, Zorro putting Zs on them. Z, 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 Z. Like the uh, Russian tanks have that Z on it. Is that a Z for Zorro in their, their war against Ukraine? No. Of course not. Hey, Kurt, did you say a wooden four-story walk-up? Yes, all wood. <laughs> oh, what? Not, not, uh, no mortar and brick in that building. Come on, come on, man. A few cinders <laughs> from a cigarette, and that four story walk up would have gone up like a forest fire. Okay. All right, man. Man, I, I saw some fires in the south side of Chicago where those wooden buildings would go up, and if the wind was blowing, the whole block went. The whole block. You have no idea. That's when it was all Polish. Now it's all Mexican. A wood four-story walk-up, man. And when I say to those Mexicanos, <laughs> hey, when I say to them in Little Village, Zorro, huh? They go, oh, amigo, hombre, ese, ese. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. I want to be around to pick up the pieces when somebody breaks your heart Some somebody twice as smart as I Though there was a commemoration for Tony Bennett right in the heart of Astoria In honor of the Astoria kid, Tony Bennett born in Long Island City and moved over to Astoria And the location... Uh, was right in Athens Park, which was on 30th Avenue and 31st Street, right near PS 17. They used to be called 17 Park. Then the Greeks came in and they, they dolled it all up. Looks like a little Parthenon. Really nice park. And so it's part of the weekly Italian festival nights that take place in that park. George Dellis and his friends put it on. They've been doing that for years. Had a nice crowd, mostly Italians, Greeks, and Puerto Ricans that were there to hear music commemorating Tony Bennett, who was born and raised just a few blocks away. And interesting because uh, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, said he would come uh, and uh, he would introduce the band, uh, which was... uh, The NYPD Jazz Band. I couldn't believe that the police department of New York City, with all the problems that we have in the city, would actually have 25 men and women 
dedicated to playing jazz with the New York City Police Department jazz band. All of them strapped with guns, all of them who should have been out patrolling the streets of Astoria that have had an uptick in shoplifting and boosting. All of those mom-and-pop stores, those uh, little uh, brick-and-mortar stores, uh, losing money hand over fist because of the shoplifting and boosting. But no, 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 they had them playing jazz. So City Hall sent them there to play songs to entertain the crowd. So I was there for the first session before they took a break. They played for about 45 minutes. And they didn't play one Tony Bennett song. They played uh, Frank Sinatra song, Rihanna song, some merengue, some salsa, some other songs. Not one Tony Bennett song. So while they were taking a break and waiting for the mayor's arrival, I went up to the band leader and I said, Hey, guy, you know, everybody's here to hear Tony Bennett songs. He goes, Kurt, it's not for nothing. But we don't know any Tony Bennett songs. I said, so what the hell are you doing here at a commemoration? They could have had a DJ in here just playing Tony Bennett songs, or they could have gotten a few out the cockers, retired uh, musicians, who would have been more than happy to come in with their instruments and play Tony Bennett songs. He said, sorry, we didn't know any. You couldn't have learned any Tony Bennett songs overnight? Uh, not our job. Not a job. So I had to leave at 8 o'clock to join Nancy. And so the mayor rolls in at about 8.30 at night, and he had a fair number of detractors, but he also had a fair number of supporters. And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, I'm telling you, mm, this woman, Maria Lynch, originally a immigrant, legal immigrant from Honduras, came in the hard way, had to wait, had to go to her consulate there in Honduras, wait until she had passed muster and could come into the United States and then eventually earn her citizenship, take the test and be sworn in as a citizen. She's been a lifelong um, organizer of all kinds of activities in Astoria. In fact, she's helped me enormously in setting up uh, the Ronald Reagan uh, Republican Club that actually has more moderate Democrats involved in Astoria in the VFW Lodge than Republicans or Independents. It's a great woman. But she had had enough. The mayor got there at about 8.30, and she was sitting with a group of uh, women who had been born and raised in Astoria. And this illegal alien situation just put her over the top. Listen to how she confronted Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. Why are you treating illegal aliens better than you're treating Americans? Why are you treating illegal aliens better than you're treating Americans? You know, this 
Eric Adams has uh, difficulty talking with elderly women. I don't know what it is about him. But this woman is about the age, Maria, uh, Maria Lynch, of uh, the woman that he read the riot act to at that town hall meeting up in Washington Heights when she dared get up and chastise the mayor. An 84-year-old Jewish resident of the Upper West Side happened to be white. Then the mayor, remember, started to tear her down, say, yo, this ain't a plantation, essentially saying, don't treat me like a slave. And it turns out this woman was uh, whisked away when she was a baby in Germany with a family who was soon to be taken to Auschwitz, the concentration camp. Thank God they get out of there. So now he's dealing with Marie Lynch, who's asking him, why are you treating illegals better than Americans? Why are you destroying this city with migrants? And the only response that Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, could give is, you have an accent, which he does. And boy, that just pushed uh, Marie Lynch over the top. She said, I live in and work here. I never asked for a dime. And then Eric Adams, in defense of the illegal aliens that he's the Papa Chulo to, the, who's your daddy? That's, that's uh, Eric Adams. He said, migrants don't want to ask for money. Well, you could have fooled me. At the Milford Plaza, they were dissatisfied with the food that we taxpayers were providing them. It's all city taxpayers. They, they didn't want to have any more bagels, any more schmears, any more sandwiches. They wanted food that was culturally appropriate to them from Venezuela, from Caracas. So they were able to order con arroz habituelas. Con arroz habituelas, beans and rice, and they wanted chuletas on top, pork chops. And guess what? They were able to order it from Grubhub, and we, the sucker taxpayers, paid for it. Some of them wanted mafungo, some of them wanted mangu. God, better than mommy treated them when they were growing up back in their country of origin. So I just wanted to take the time to salute Maria Lynch, who stood up to the mayor like everyone has to stand up to the mayor. Of late, he's getting booed when he goes to public events and challenged. He was at uh, Midland Beach right near Father Capadonna Boulevard near Dolphin Plaza. They were having a free concert uh, that the city was sponsoring for millions of dollars. What a waste. Our money. Uh, but it attracted a crowd of mostly uh, Puerto Ricans and Italians, and they booed him, even though this time, unlike last year, he was there and he got booed. This time, he was up on the Jumbotron in a video presentation, and they booed him there. And when they were lifting Ujulio recently at the Italian festival, Mount St. Carmichael, where they have the dance of the uh, boats and the dance of Ujulio, he got booed there, too. So if he ventures out into your neighborhood, into your community, don't be a stoop or a stunad and take a uh, selfie and get all excited and all for toots. Boo him. Let him know you're upset with him. Let him know. Say to him, hey, you know, I voted for Sliwa. <laughs> he can't blame me. Oh, my God, oh, my and then to anybody who in any way, shape, or form disagrees with him because his complexion is his protection, Eric Adams is going to, like, throw down the mic and talk about how he's Kunte Kinte. 
People can say what they want. There are those in society that still long to see me stop saying Kute Kente and they want me to say Toby. And it's uncomfortable for them. So you can whip me as much as you want. But when you take off my shirt, you'll see the scars are already done. You know, I've gotten beaten enough that I can't be beaten again. I came into government saying Kute Kente. I'm leaving government saying Kute Kente. And if you don't know who he is, go see Roots. Then he dropped the mic like he was an MC, like uh, he was a rapper. And he did the bird. First off, I don't ever remember him referring to himself as Kunta Kinte. Never. In all the campaigning and all the press conferences, because he has a few a day, never did he ever refer to himself as Kunta Kinte and then say, I'm going to leave as Kunta Kinte. And then he gave us a lecture because he was talking about how he's a mayor who's against all the isms, you know, like racism, like anti-Semitism. Oh, my God. And he went on and on and on. Inaccurate coverage is not because I am uh, black. And I've never said that, that inaccurate coverage is because I'm black. I've never said that the coverage that people did is because I'm black. I'm saying it's inaccurate coverage. But we cannot say to ourselves that isms don't still exist. Isms. What the hell is an ism? And then he broke wild on the media, claiming that they cannot judge him because they don't walk in his shoes and in the color of his skin. I'm a black man. That's the mayor. But my story has been interpreted by people that don't look like me. We got to be honest about that. How many blacks are in the editorial boards? How many blacks are determined how these stories are being written? Well, that's what puts the media in a box. They get all intimidated. They get bullied. And then how dare anybody question his ability to lead New York City? He gets all rambunctious, all uppity, and it's sort of like you're questioning his blackness. When a mayor has swagger, the city has swagger. (laughs) Could I hear that again? When a mayor has swagger, the city has swagger. When the mayor has swagger, the city has swagger. I thought he said he was the CEO of the largest company in America. I'm the CEO of the largest corporation in America, and my bald head, earring-wearing swagger is running this city my way. Yeah, yeah. My way. That's swag. Yes, sir. <laughs> what a goofball, right? What a goofball. And then he was on with Funkmaster Flex, who was promoting his new talk show at WBLS slash W... Uh, uh, Hot 97, excuse me. More guns, more drive-bys. More gang-banging, more shooting going on there at Hot 97. And the mayor is proud to be part of that lineup now on Sundays at 1030. And I got to tell you, last week he sucked. If he's doing it this week, he needs to enroll in the talk radio boot camp that we can put on for him right here at WABC. His DI drill instructor will be the baldy in the morning, Sid Rosenberg, who gets along with him most of the time. They're like, meds, meds, poco, poco. 
But I want you to listen. Mayor, what's your favorite radio station? WBLS Hot 97. You heard it. Don't play us close, bruh. You see us out here. Funk Flex and the Mayor. Funk Master Flex and the Mayor. And then naturally, he's got to go back to the swagger man with no plan routine. Listen, you know and I know that it's all about the swagger. <laughs> all about the swagger. This guy is obsessed with swagger. How about just doing your job, huh? Listen, you know and I know that it's all about the swagger. <laughs> Knock it off with the swagger. Listen, you know and I know that it's all about the swagger. <laughs> I read already. Listen, you know and I know that it's all about the swagger. <laughs> swagger man, you ain't got a plan. Let's go to Ron in Michigan. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Ronnie. Good morning, Curtis. Curtis, is about Haiti. You know, we owe Haiti a debt. 114 Haitian uh, freemen volunteered and fought with the American revolutionaries at, at Yorktown. And, and you know, it, we wouldn't have probably we, we we would have gotten the middle of the United States, the Louisiana Purchase, but we had would had to fight the French for it because the Haitian Revolution, defeating the French, caused Napoleon to have to give up the the uh, Louisiana Purchase, the the heart of the United States, because he could no longer hold it because the Haitian revolutionaries gave it to the United States. Okay, and, and as far as the we 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 should keep our nose out of Haiti. We should keep our nose out of Ukraine. Haiti is on our doorstep. We owe a debt. We owe a debt as far as historical to Haiti, and we should not. We cannot walk away from Haiti because, like you said, all those people are going to be coming over here, and, and you know it would be better to keep the Haitians over there in their own land. But we, and especially the French, should be in there with, and alongside the United States instead of Ukraine. And keeping those, keeping that country. Well, under well, well, Ron, I, I've advocated that. Forget the French; they've got problems throughout West Africa with the uh, insurgency in Mali and all of their old uh, colonial uh, locales where they speak French. Also, there, they should focus on that. Macron should focus on that because that's completely out of control. There, uh, we ourselves should stay out of Haiti. We've messed it up big time. And it should be Trudeau Jr. in Canada who goes in there and stabilizes. Really have to. Total anarchy prevails there. And let's look at the history of Haiti. We supported Papa Doc, and we supported Baby Doc. Then you had Duval uh, who came in. He was the general. Then you had, uh, oh, yeah, guy who liked doing necklacing. A Salesian priest, Aristide, who's a priest. And he would necklace his opponents. Necklacing is what Nelson Mandela's wife, Winnie, would do in Soweto, the township in South Africa, to her political enemies. She would put an empty tire around their head, fill it with gasoline, uh, light a match, and throw it inside of the, uh, the tire with the gasoline, and the person would be burnt alive. Oh, yeah, it was called necklacing. And Aristide, when he was the leader, who would be brought back and forth out of Haiti. One minute we loved him, next minute we would have a coup d'etat, take him out. Then we put him in exile in uh, South Africa. Then he was back in Haiti. What, what, what a mishigash. But anyway, he was a defrocked Salesian priest. 
He, his wife actually was from the Bronx. I believe his wife taught at uh, Bronx Community College or Boricua College, which is right south of 149th and 3rd. So he was very knowledgeable of Western ways, of American ways, but he was constantly uh, organizing gangs to be on his side. It became the history of Haiti. And as our caller Ron from Michigan stated, the second country to have a revolution against their crown, as you mentioned, Napoleon, was Le Voiture, the general who led the slaves in a rebellion against Napoleon and the French and kicked their ass. And he used our American Constitution as a template, our Bill of Rights as a template. Second nation in the world to do it. First, the United States, soon after Le Voiture, and the slaves who joined him in rebellion against the French, and they kicked the French out of uh, that portion of Haiti, the old island of Hispaniola, where, if you looked at it together, consisted of the Dominican Republic and Haiti. But we have a long history of messing up things in Haiti. The support of Papa Doc, who was a vicious, totalitarian brute and an executioner. Then his son, Baby Doc Duvalier, who raped the land. I'll never forget one of my guardian angels, uh, Richard Dominique, who was from Haiti. When we went there after the earthquake, uh, devastated the country, and we were staying in Port-au-Prince, and he showed me all the tent cities, all the people who had been dislodged from their homes by the earthquake. And we went up on the hill, and all the wealthy people live up on the hill. Most of the wealthy people are light-skinned. Richard was light-skinned. His father was a banker. His mother, I believe, was an educator. They had a great house there. They were no longer living there. Father was living in Los Angeles. Mother was living in Jackson Heights. But he took me to their old house, who was a mansion, and he described how his father was putting on a party for government officials from Port-au-Prince and for Baby Doc Duvalier. Baby Doc Duvalier rolls in with his entourage. They have the party there. Everybody had a good time. As baby Doc Duvalier is leaving with his security team, he says to Richard Dominique's father, you have 48 hours to leave. And Richard Dominique's father says, what do you mean leave? This is my house. My family is here. My grandchildren are here. No, I'm taking the house. You got 48 hours to leave or we kill you. So Richard Dominique's father gathered up his family, gathered up whatever equity he had, whatever money he could grab, and they escaped Haiti and headed to New York and then did the hop, skip, and a jump across to L.A. But that's how quick it was. They had a party for Baby Doc and his staff. Baby Doc toured their home, liked what he saw, and then told the owner and operator, Richard Dominique's father, straight up, I like this house. I'm taking it for myself. You and your family have 48 hours to get the hell out of the house and get the hell out of the country, or you could end up in a ditch. That's the way it is there. And it's continuously gotten worse. And we've gone in there and we've destabilized the place. I remember it was uh, Bill Clinton who took out Aristide. Aristide went into exile in South Africa. Then Aristide came back. It's just they, they utilize gangs there as support for uh, political parties like they did back in the days of Jamaica when Bob Marley was directly involved in the uh, uh, 
uh, election process that would choose its prime minister, where oftentimes gangs were empowered to get out the vote. Oh, yeah. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Oh, 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 oh. Now my love has gained its fame, yeah. Telephones we go from Oaktown on the West Coast War. I remember seeing them in concert. They were great at the old Palladium. And Haiti is totally slipping into darkness. And something has to be done. We don't need to do it. The French Macron, he needs to pay attention to West Africa, Niger, Mali. Places that have had their own insurrections. But I think it's time for uh, Tiptoe Trudeau to step up. Canada should take responsibility for Haiti. Yeah, 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 Trudeau. Stop complaining in Ottawa. And actually, if you want to be a player on the geopolitical scene, hey, it's time for the Canadians to man up and woman up, send some troops into into Haiti and stabilize it. Lots of Haitians in Canada, especially, as I say, Quebec. In Montreal, where all the cab drivers are Haitian, speak a little French, speak a little Creole, speak a little poco poco uh, English. Anyway, to the phones we go. It's Ralph in Long Beach. Your turn to be heard there on WABC, Ralphie. Curtis, I was wondering if you can educate me a bit here. When you have the DR and Haiti sharing the same island, why is the DR a place where people will still go to vacation and Haiti a complete disaster? Well, we and other countries have played uh, a role in uh, fostering this total dependence on the United States, which, again, it's like welfare when you give welfare. If you have generation after generation after generation and they're on welfare, uh, they tend not to become self-supportive, and you actually weaken the family structure, you weaken the community. We've done that in Haiti. As I said, Haiti actually led the Western Hemisphere in wanting to emulate the United States when La Vartour, uh caused the revolution against Napoleon and the French and defeated the French army. 
with a group of slaves that he had trained and put together. Now, Hispaniola was the island. It was divided into two, as you mentioned, the D on one side, Haiti on the other side. But the Dominican Republic, they always hated the Haitians, always hated them. And in fact, they put up a fence uh, to prevent the Haitians from coming in. Oftentimes, it's the Haitians that will be hired uh, at a lower rate than a Dominican would be to do the work. Uh, in just a few hours, there's going to be a parade on the Grand Concourse. It's the annual Dominican Day Parade uh, through the Bronx. And if I were to go up to the Dominicans, because I'm often there, and say to them, what do you think of the Haitians? They have nothing, most of them, but negative things to say. There's real hardcore prejudice there. I've been in Haiti. I've been in the DR. Uh, I will tell you, Ralph, if we would just stop interfering with Haiti, with its politics, let the Canadians deal with this, try to get them back on track, and support their effort to be self-supportive. What we've wanted them to do is always be dependent on us because we said it would be a wall against communism because at the time when Fidel and Raul Castro were behind the sugar cane curtain of Cuba, uh, we supported Papa Doc Duvalier, a totalitarian dictator, because we said he would be uh, a foil to the expansion of communism into Haiti. And we, we, we picked these horrible individuals to lead these countries, and then we wonder why 10 or 20 years later they're slipping into darkness. We've got to take some of the responsibility for that, Ralph. Well, I do agree that we should handle this, and so so it stays over there. We have already had, I think there was like two weeks where there was 15,000 Haitians under a bridge, and it got so much attention that finally, overnight, they disappeared. So I don't know where they are, but we have to stop it over there. I agree. But as far as picking up the tab, I'm getting tired of picking up the tab, man. No, Everybody and, and, said, and, oh, we it, should pick up the tab. We should pick up. Let the Clintons pick up the tab. Didn't they have some kind of corrupt scheme going on over there in Haiti? Oh, there were, there, were, there were many nonprofits there that were ripoffs. Uh, the Clintons just had one of many. I will tell you this, though. It should be the responsibilities of the Canadians. They have enough money. They have enough security, they have enough equipment, they have enough troops. It doesn't require a lot to go into Port-au-Prince and put down the gangs and uh, make sure the vigilantes don't become gangs themselves as they protect their own neighborhoods. Try to shape up the police as Ray Kelly did for a few years when he was on loan to Haiti. But basically, we got to get him back on track because if we don't, and all those Haitians are not going to want to stay in a country where at any moment a gang can come in, put them up against the wall, and execute them. They're going to go through the shark-infested waters, and they're going to cross over, and they can actually see at a certain juncture, Riviera Beach and Lake Worth, and they're going to come ashore, and they're going to be illegal aliens here, whether we like it or not. 
Check this out. On the weekend. Info. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. It's time to make the donut. This should be the Mama Luke Frank Marano theme song. Who does he think he is? Mr. Big Stuff. Anyway, this is the funniest hour in all of radio. It comes to you courtesy of the hard work of Avery, our overnight producer, who has to bisect and dissect 20 hours every week of Frank Marano musing to himself, going off in 50,000 different directions on the other side of uh, midnight. And uh, he's able to boil it all down and throw it all together and give us a lot of belly laughs. So get right down to it. Here's Frank Morano, of course, praising uh, the siesta, which he wishes he could have in place here at WABC, not his place to be. I am a big advocate of the siesta, and I was always sorry that it never really caught on in America. I don't know um, what the first step would be doing this in America, but I love that Germany is moving in this direction. Uh, you know what you can do, Frank? You can go down to the Roosevelt Hotel and watch how some of the Mexicans have their sombrero on in the hot sun and take a, si- a siesta in the middle of the day. And, and the guy that's requesting it works four hours a day. He works four hours a day, and he talks about cheese and Shatner. Yeah, and, 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 he wants a nap. and he complains that he works too hard. <laughs> he's going on another vacation. Another one. Ah, yeah, this guy is every month. He's on a vacation. And when I'm here, I want a nap break. Yeah, a nap break, <laughs> a siesta, a siesta, a siesta, everybody. And then look at him. He's like, um, he's really like a trawler is out in the ocean. You know, just scraping the floor of anything that it could sweep up into the bowels of the trawler and then ship back to its country of origin. When it comes to Frank Morano and food in the kitchen, beware. I walk in to our radio station and in the kitchen area, <laughs> they not only have all of the, the usual snacks, which always tempt me, these little mini uh, chocolate bars, <laughs> which I justify by having a couple by saying, oh, okay, it's just a mini chocolate bar. What, what, what does it matter? What is it, five calories? Well, when you have five or six of them, it's a little bit more. And then right next to that, there's a, there's there's some great peanut M&Ms. Oh, what's a handful of peanut M&Ms going to do? They've got, a, they've, they've got peanuts. That's got to be somewhat good for you. Oh, man. God, it's like he, he, 
He, when he walks through the kitchen, it's like he's got a fisherman's net with him. <laughs> he got to run through the kitchen like it's on fire. <laughs> oh, he's he going to eat everything in there. Man, and he does. Oh, what's this? Oh, no, I shouldn't. <laughs> Should I? Does anybody want to split one of these chocolate bars with and then, me? And then he'll tell everybody, look, look, the chocolate is saying, eat me, eat me. I'm going to eat all of these. Up. Oh, Lord Jesus, please. Oh, and then he talks about uh, Reese's peanut butter cup. And actually, what he prefers is the Reese's peanut butter bar now. But today, they have a open, an open Reese, uh, Reese's peanut butter bar. It's sort of picture a Reese's peanut butter cup, but in candy bar form. <laughs> My downfall is peanuts and peanut butter. I adore anything with peanut butter. So when you talk about a Reese's peanut butter cup, or in this case, the Reese's peanut butter bar, which I had not had until tonight, and I did break off a couple of these squares, that is, it's my kryptonite. So I am throwing that away. I don't know why they just put it out there. It's almost like a mousetrap. If I can't have it, nobody has it. Why does it, why does it have to get thrown away, Frank? Because you don't have any willpower. Oh, my God. I thought cheese was his favorite. Now all of a sudden it's Reese's. Chocolate peanut butter cups. But who peels a couple of squares off of an open candy bar in the kitchen anyway? <laughs> you, have, you don't know where it came from. Who put it there? And you're so right because he can't control himself. He's got to throw it out so nobody so else, nobody can, else can have it. Typical Frank Morano. It's all about I, I, me, me, not us and we. And then he's got to talk about his Aunt Camille. Yesterday, I went to my Aunt Camille's. I got the call that there was a new batch of egg salad, oh, right? <laughs> and Carmine had a little bit for lunch. Oh, I had a oh, little man. bit that he didn't finish. And then I said, okay, no big deal that we have all this egg, egg salad. I'll just bring it into work and everybody will, will eat it. I didn't realize until I was halfway here that I had left the egg salad at home. So I am oh, kicking no. myself that we're going to have an egg salad surplus today. So who knows? You never know who's going to pop by my home. So I'll offer everybody a little bit of egg salad. In my neighbor group text message, I will offer all of our neighbors oh some egg salad. He lives in the scrambled eggs all over my face. What is a boy to do? He lives in a neighborhood from the 1950s. I'm telling you, a, a, a neighborhood email uh, text blast or for egg salad. What is that about, man? You should go suck an egg. As far as I'm concerned, what is that about? What is what is the deal with this egg salad, and why do we hear so much about it? Let her open a restaurant or something. <laughs> like, why does we? <laughs> he brings it to work. There's a there's a, a neighborhood blast about it. It's eggs and mayonnaise. There's nothing special about it. Did she put cocaine in it or something? God. What is the deal with this egg salad? And then people have uh, reported that they've come down with salmonella, E. e coli, the flesh-eating virus. He's disappointed that he has to go on vacation because he won't be here to eat the egg salad. Oh, God. That's what is what is up with this egg salad, man. Another vacation? This guy's a gold brick. He's a slacker. <laughs> he gets the call. Boy, why does she make two buckets of egg salad? She's <laughs> one old lady at the house. Why is she making all this egg salad, Curtis? Oh. So that he can work it off <laughs> by having an exercise and a workout. Who knew that he, Frank Morano, was uh, Jack LaLanne? All right. I want to commend the practice of weekend exercise. This was the best news that I had heard <laughs> all, all weekend. Because 
I'm not exercising every day. And I'm at most exercising once or twice a week. Some new data shows that those of us who are weekend warriors have a similarly low risk of heart disease and stroke as those who spread out their physical activity. People who fit an entire week's recommended exercise into a couple of days Uh have a similarly low risk of heart disease and stroke (laughs) as those that try and do it every day. What the hell is he talking about? It's like the third week in a row where he he mysteriously found a study that agrees with his way of life. Exactly. It's very shaky here. Very yeah, shaky. It was good. It was, he found a study that where cheese, eating cheese and, and dairy helps you. <laughs> then he found out, like, where's it, where's it coming from? Harvard or, like, Cal Berkeley? Like, where's this study coming from? I got a question now. Ice cream helps you, helps heart disease. <laughs> I read this study that Haagen-Dazs vanilla, Haagen-Dazs vanilla adds five years to your life. That's... I, I, I just read that hot off the press, uh, the, the New England Journal of Medicine. Right, there's no way, no way of proving what he's no saying. No way, no, 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 don't look it up. Just take my word for it. Hagen dazs vanilla has ten years to your life. And then, again, he's going on vacation, and he's complaining because things aren't running the way he wants them to run. Matt Blaze, do you have an understanding of whether or not we're supposed to have a post-show meeting or not today? As I understand it, we are. But didn't you understand that last week and we not have one? <laughs> well, that is true. On but the air. I was texted earlier or yesterday that he will be here bright and early in the morning. All right. We will see. We'll see. We will see indeed. All right. I, I, uh, I, I, I'm not, last week I stuck around and then got the word that there was no meeting. So I don't know that I'm sticking around. Yet. And now it's like your vacation's about yeah, to start. Exactly. I will give him 20 minutes to be here. Half oh, an hour, maybe. Oh, like wait around oh, all day. Oh, Frank getting tough. And why, why, why doesn't he know the boundary of what to talk about on air and off the air? Mm. Why, why is he talking about work matters mm. on air? Frank, why don't you say something interesting or or do something to entertain the crowd on the air? And talk talk about that stuff during the break. And what's this thing? They have a post show meeting. We don't have post show meetings. Yeah, <laughs> we're too busy doing the show. Okay, and Matt so. Place, do you have an understanding of whether or not we're supposed to have a post show meeting or not today? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Frank, here's here's the status report. Frank, your show is still mediocre. All right. Now get back at it. <laughs> Go get him, Frank. Like like his friend Brian Kilmeade always says. Go get him, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> By the time Kill Me is off, it's like two minutes left in the show. Go get him, Frank. <laughs> Pat him on the butt. <laughs> Go get him, boy. Two seconds left. And then Frank trying to uh, act as if he knew Rod Serling and he wanted to participate in a Twilight Zone episode. You know what? I, I've seen different science fiction films, and I think there's a Twilight Zone episode of, uh, with in this regard with... Um, I think with uh, Dick Sargent, where you can pause time. I would love to be able to do that from time to time, where I could just pause time and the rest of the world stops and then pause time again uh, an hour later and then take two hours to watch a film. And that's how I think I could get caught up because I'm not cutting down on sleep because sleep is essential to sounding semi-coherent. Yeah, can you imagine somebody like Frank with that kind of power in his hands? Look, there'll be plenty of time to sleep, Frank, when you're dead. Yeah, because that's all you end up doing. Please do not let Frank end up with this technology. <laughs> <laughs>
Hey, there's a certain female uh, uh, politician who definitely don't want him to have that, that, that oh, kind of technology. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> and then he talks about driving with Rachel and his neck, his neck problems. I don't know if this happens to you, but this happens to me a lot when I'm in a car or when I'm on a bus. When I fall asleep, my head tilts to one end or another, either the right or the left. Why don't you and drive? it ends up really hurting my neck. And I actually wake up because my neck is in so much pain that I try to straighten it out. And then you fall asleep again. And then again, same thing happens. Your neck one way or another. So he gives himself a chiropractic adjustment. He tries to straighten out his neck. Yeah. How come he doesn't get what I've seen even homeless people walk around with at times, you know, where they have that neck brace? How come he doesn't get two testicles and drive and say, let Rachel sit in the passenger seat? <laughs> How come he doesn't get that? Rachel does all the driving in every story. Him and, him and Carmine are sitting next to each other in the back. <laughs> oh, God. We almost there, Carmine. Oh, man. Mm. Frank falls asleep. Mm. Having nightmares in the car. The Borg, the Borg. And then he talks about age. Age, 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 and it's not of his cheddar cheese. Frank, uh, you don't say your age because do you think uh, people are going to think about you like you are going to be less credible? Be less what was the last word you used? People are going to believe you less, what you are saying? Well, you know, it's a good question, Alfredo, and I get this a lot. Thank you. The uh, So I don't say my age uh, for many reasons. When I was young, everyone would always say, oh, by the time you're 30, you're going to be this. By the time you're 35, you're going to be this. By the time you're 40, oh, you're going to be a millionaire. And Almost all of those things that people said about me, not one of them came to fruition. None of, <laughs> none of these projections that society uh, put upon me ever came to fruition. God, is he a victim or what? He let the whole world down. Yeah. <laughs> his father was like, you disgust me. <laughs> what, was, what was it all for? Why did I put up with you and all your, your, your Rod Serling and your... And your Man, this is crazy. You were supposed to be a millionaire. Yeah, you were supposed to get us out of this. <laughs> <laughs> you Orson Welles. <laughs> Instead, you're smoking a cigar in your mother's house. You burn the house down. You burn down. the house down. <laughs> the dog barely survived. You failure. <laughs> and you didn't make a million dollars. The worst draft pick ever. <laughs> Uh, and he acknowledges it. Yep, he does. He says, yeah, I haven't amounted to anything. Uh, we concur, Frank. Yes, we concur. We agree. You are the George Costanza of talk radio. <laughs> we concur, Frank. Notice, he objects to being called George Costanza. Yeah. But what he just described to a T is George Costanza of Seinfeld. His father Frank, is... Uh, you don't say your age because do you think uh, people are going to think about you like you're going to be less credible? Be less what was the last word you used? People are going to believe you less what you are saying? Well, you know, it's a good question, Alfredo, and I get this a lot. Thank you. The uh, So I don't say my age uh, for many reasons. When I was young, everyone would always say, 
oh, by the time you're 30, you're going to be this. Who are these by the people? time you're 35, <laughs> you're going to be this. By the time you're 40, oh, you're going to be a millionaire. And almost all of those things that people said about me, not one of them came to fruition. None of them. None of these projections that society uh, put upon me ever came to fruition. Not one. Hey, y'all see, do y'all see Franklin Morano? He's going places. <laughs> Y'all slackers in the back row. One of them slackers probably the CEO of, of, of like some big company now. Y'all slackers. Y'all be like Frank. <laughs> Thank you. You know, he's giving the teacher apple, little kiss up. I just want to be like Frank. Everybody be like Frank. Oh, my God. Would Frank we is be in be, trouble? Frank is going to be a millionaire by the time he's 40. <laughs> y'all, y'all, y'all following Frank's shoes. And then he talks about... The million-dollar jackpot. So what's the mega jackpot up to now? $700 million? I think it's something around there, $650, something like that. I know. I need the billion, though. If you win that money, you do have everyone you've ever met calling you and asking you for money. So now I'm willing to deal with that. But it's a lot easier for me to deal with if I have the billion than if I only have $700 million. First of all, I, I think I'm taking the lump sum. So that significantly reduces your payout. You got it all you, figured what are you out. Clearing? <laughs> Two or three hundred million? Now it's still worth it if you win the billion. But if it's only seven hundred million, is is it worth dealing with all that that agita? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Oh, God. This, this, this is the horse that everybody picked to, to be a millionaire by now. <laughs> the, the the guy most likely to succeed. Yeah, the guy right? most likely to be a millionaire. <laughs> Father Michael at the at the church. <laughs> You go in places, Morano. He got it. <laughs> he got it all figured out. He got it all figured out. It, his, his whole life is dedicated to getting a dish of king crab legs. Yeah, he don't want seven hundred million. Forget that. No, 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 no. I, I, I need the billion. Yeah, yeah. I need the absolute billion dollars or nothing. You know how much Borgata uh, king crab legs of seven hundred million dollars? Speaking, speaking of Borgata, once again, what is he focused on? Atlantic City and Sunday night. This Sunday night, you are throwing this blowout, big, half-century birthday bash. What are you going to be doing, and uh, what's the story here? Where is it going to be? Well, it's going to be at the Anchor Rock Club in New York City. It's right off the boardwalk. Not New York City, Atlantic City. In Atlantic (laughs) City, right off the boardwalk off New York Avenue by the Irish Pub. It's an incredible, really cool, sexy little club. I have... uh, some guest singers popping in, and then I have uh, a couple of burlesque dancers that are, we've choreographed a couple numbers to. Uh-oh. Um, we're going to make it a fun party, man. We're going to have a great time. From that point on, Frank thought of nothing else. That was it. Ooh. Wow. Ooh. The whole conversation changed when he said that. Do not mention strippers around Morano. <laughs> Because he got it, he has to work so hard to make it look like he's not thinking about that. Oh God! But that's all he's thinking about. And remember, he went to a bachelor party in the stripper capital of the world, Atlanta. They rented they out rented a house. a house, filled it with liquor, right, and chased each other around in their underwear <laughs> <laughs> and watched wrestling. <laughs> Watching TV with a house full of liquor. Oh my God! 
Uh, this, is, this is the guy who's coming to your party with the, with the strippers. And then, uh, now you know why Rachel is not invited to these places. And do, and do, then, we, uh, do we have to pay yeah, to go, no Dave? Friend. What's the story? Can we just go, or, or what's the deal? Hey, tell me about these burlesque dancers. I, I've not <laughs> been to a burlesque birthday party before. Not that you need beautiful women to be entertained, but, I mean, it, well, does it doesn't help, hurt. Doesn't it? Yes, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt, hurt, that's for sure. So come see uh, Dave Damiani and a host of... Uh, of celebrities and uh, a lot of great talents and probably most important, the burlesque dancers at the anchor rock club, uh, 7 PM this Sunday night in Atlantic city. Oh yeah. Don't forget to, don't forget the whole reason I'm coming. The burlesque dancers. I'll bet you, you go into his room. He's got a full wall length picture of gypsy Rose Lee considered the greatest of all burlesque dancers. Yeah, I bet you he's going to be at the foot of that stage with a doll in his teeth. <laughs> That's what I bet. I don't know who that, I don't know who Gypsy Rose is. Frank, Frank, it's not that kind of dancing. Oh, man. And then uh, Frank decides he anoints himself the least judgmental person in the United States of America. I feel like this whole thing is is very crummy. I just, I don't like it. I don't I don't know if I could even articulate why I find this so unseemly, but I do. And again, I'm the least judgmental person in the United States. This guy calls himself the least <laughs> judgmental person in the U.S. I'm the least judgmental person in the United States. Frank, how in the world can you fix your mouth to say that? I'm the least judgmental person in the United States. How? Well, Frank, we, we, we listen to you tear down people daily. People, all the people who are more successful than you, and you call yourself the least judgmental person in the United States. I'm the least judgmental person in the United States. <laughs> Man, <laughs> you got a set on you, Murado. I'm the least judgmental person in the United States. <laughs> 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. The cheese tax, the cheese tax. You're gonna pay the cheese tax every time you're cooking. When the cheese comes out, this puppy comes looking. The rules are the rules and the facts are the facts. And when the cheese drawer opens, you gotta pay the tax. The cheese tax, the cheese tax. Hand it over quick or things might get Oh, ugly. this is Frank's number really one penchant, his uh, obsession. Just ask it. Is that he may have to pay a tax on his beloved fromage. But then again, he goes in a million different directions on his program, The Other Side of Midnight, Monday through Fridays, 1 to 5. That's uh, 20 hours a week. And then he starts getting into these deep conversations and decides to bounce it off of the guy who's a runway model who's got a muscle between his ears. His telephone talent coordinator, Ken. But I am curious what you would do in terms of trying to, you know, find out if you had this mutation or not. Matt Blaze, what would you do? I'd want to know. You'd want to know also? Absolutely. Well, Kenneth, how about you? I don't think I would want to know, honestly. How come? I don't know. I just, I feel like I overthink way too much as it is. I feel like that's all that. Where, yes, where, I do. Where is all this overthinking? Well, maybe not with you. I guess not. No. Um... I'm telling you. Did I hear that again? But I am curious what you would do in terms of 
trying to, you know, find out if you had this mutation or not. Matt Blaze, what would you do? I'd want to know. You'd want to know also? Absolutely. Well, Kenneth, how about you? I don't think I would want to know, honestly. How come? I don't know. I just, I feel like I overthink way too much as it is. I feel like that's all that. Where, yes, where, I do. Where is all this overthinking? Well, maybe not with you. But, I guess not. You know. Um, Stephen Hawking. Kenneth, <laughs> <laughs> who won the Super Bowl? <laughs> this boy's like, uh, <laughs> who won the Super Bowl? Let me check on that. <laughs> uh, I, I got to overthink it. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. let, let me check on that. Man, this guy got a muscle between both ears. <laughs> he come constantly overthinking things. <laughs> the only reason he's the telephone talent coordinator is that Frank Morano is having a midlife crisis <laughs> and doesn't know if he actually likes guys. <laughs> he's something to look at. He's, he's, he's something to look at. <laughs> He's eye candy, for Frank. Candy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's hear from eye candy. I mean, Kenneth. Oh, God. <laughs> and then uh, this guy, Bill, from Plainview, this caller, really gets on his case. Bill is in Plainview. Hello, Bill. Hi. I just want to, uh, you know, he's talking about Ross Pro in 92. What was he, 10 years old? Well, none of your business. How old were you? He's talking about Ross Pro. He's 10 years old. What does he know about Ross Pro? Well, what would you like to know? You want to compare knowledge of Ross Perot? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, 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 I would. All right. Who was Ross Perot's running mate in 1992? It was the, it was that general. Uh, no, that's incorrect. Uh, who was Ross Perot's running mate in 1996? Ross Perot it made no effect in 1996. Uh, all right, so then it's okay Ross to be ignorant Ross, then? Uh, Ross Perot, when Frank. he ran, had an effect, and and he was eight years old. <laughs> Frank, what are you doing? This is what happens. This is what happens when you don't have any callers. <laughs> hey. well, he, would, he wouldn't let it go. He wouldn't let it go. Bill is in plain view. Hello, Bill. Hi. I just want to, uh, you know, he's talking about Ross Pro in 92. What was he, 10 years old? Well, none of your business. How old were you? He's talking about Ross Pro. He's 10 years old. Frank, what get him off the phone. Well, what would you like to know? Do you want to compare knowledge of Ross Perot? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, 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 I was. And, and now he wants to quiz him. Who was Ross Perot's running mate in 1992? It was, the, it was that general. Uh, no, that's incorrect. Uh, who was Ross Perot's running mate in 1996? Blank phones. Blank phones. Uh, so then it's okay to be ignorant? Ross, Ross Perot, when he ran, had an effect. And, this, this guy and gets 30 minutes. <laughs> and then you say to yourself... It's like an Abbott and Costello routine. I, I don't know what point you're trying to make by acting like because you were you believe that you were older at the time, you know more. 96 had no effect. And 92 <laughs> had an effect. And he's talking like he remembers Ross Perot. He was five. Well, Bill, you keep giving me a younger and younger age. Was it 10, 8, or 5? Well, then hang well, up the phone, Frank. Well, it's none of your business. How old are you? How, how, how old is he? Perot is unfortunately no longer with us. No, I know. But how old is he? <laughs> how old is who? Yeah. Who? Who? Right. None of your business. Click. <laughs> Why are so many minorities buying guns? Hey, look, Frank, man. Why don't you just hang up on him? At that point, you can hear all the Frank listeners at home going, hang up the phone! <laughs> 
I mean, that was like an Abbott and Costello routine. Hang up the phone, oh, Frank. God. Why are you keep going with this? Oh, and then he's got to take shots at me. You know, it always gets down to taking shots at me. He became a, a total and complete pacifist. He was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he actually refused to sing the national anthem, one, because he didn't like it, and two, because he believed it was um, a war song. So what he would sing whenever he was asked to be put in that position, he would sing God Bless America, which was more to his uh, his feet. Sorry, that's yeah. not true. I was listening to Curtis, uh, I think it was yesterday or two days ago. He said Tony, Tony actually lost... The high ranges in his voice. Oh, is that and why? That's why All right, he wasn't well, I, singing. Uh, I mean, is there a source other than Curtis on that one? Oh. See, I call that the golden triple. Well, golden Frank triple. He's wrong, <laughs> which is good. Then he gets corrected by a guest, which is even more funny. And then the source for the correction is you. That's, that's, right. that's a golden triple. What is your source, Curtis Lewa? <laughs> and then he piles on. He piles on. And just to follow up on that Tony Bennett national anthem situation, <laughs> I think my reading he Googled on my the break. of the situation is correct. In 1961, Tony Bennett was invited to sing the national anthem before the Pre- Preakness Stakes horse race, and he refused to sing it. Then, in 1998, at the World Series between the Yankees and the Padres, Bennett was invited to sing the national anthem again. He sang America the Beautiful. So I do think, um, and it doesn't mean that uh, what other people might have said about uh, Tony Bennett's vocal range isn't also true, (laughs) but I think it's clear, going back to the 60s, Tony Bennett preferred other patriotic songs. So there you have it. All right. What a shot that he took in me. That lined up with with what you said. What a diss. Maybe he was just saving face. I mean, he might have had, you know, inclinations about not liking the the war talk in it. But, but, you know, Curtis said that he had a face-to-face conversation with him and was kind of uh, berated by him. Given Tony Bennett's track record and Curtis's, with Tony Bennett making pretty consistent public statements on this for decades versus us relying on only Curtis as the source of why Tony Bennett didn't sing the national anthem, Uh. I have to go with Tony Bennett, who I think has a much better track record in terms of credibility. But it's possible. Wow. What a backhanded slap. Curtis, man. That's just a uh, just a crazy jab, man. But it's possible. It's possible, given Curtis's track record. It's possible. Oh, and then uh, he wanted his 15 seconds of fame. Jerry. Hey, Frank. I respect and like your show. I listen to it all the time. But you got to stop pleading poverty all the time. You're on vacation every <laughs> other week. You're going out to restaurants <laughs> every night. <laughs> Be a man. You got a son now. <laughs> and uh, mind you, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's at Cape May right now. <laughs> I got to hear that again, man. It's so funny. Jerry. Hey, Frank. I respect and like your show. I listen to it all the time. But you got to stop pleading poverty all the time. You're on vacation every other week, going out to restaurants every night. <laughs> Be a man. You got a son now. <laughs> 
Hey, Frank, enough is enough, Frank. Especially since you, you, you asked your callers for money. Like, you, you got, you, no way you, you as poor as you say you are, Frank. Oh, God. You got a house, you got, both of you and Rachel work, you at Cape May right now. Stop it, Frank. But boy, that, that caller really straightened him up. And then, wow. Check this caller out to Frank. What do you read mostly, Bob? Well, I'll be honest with you. I read mostly theology. Oh, really? High-level martial arts, yeah. Yeah. Martial arts? The greatest books. Yeah, yeah. I, I studied for 63 years. I never got a black belt, but I studied with 19 of the greatest <laughs> teachers in the world. <laughs> Number one, how did 19 of the greatest teachers in the world, they couldn't get you the black belt in 63 years? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. 63 years, and he's not a black belt. That's, that, that means he started in 1960. <laughs> 1980. Oh, my God. Nope. You got to play that one again. Play that one again. What do you read mostly, Bob? Well, I'll be honest with you. I read mostly theology. Oh, really? High-level martial arts, yeah. High-level yeah. martial, martial arts. arts. Greatest books. Yeah, yeah. I, I studied for 63 years. I never got a black belt, but I studied with 19 of the greatest teachers in the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's three generations of senseis that said, no, you're not good enough. That's three generations. Like, oh, oh uh-oh. Oh, my God. Here come that guy I told you about. Here we go. <laughs> If you can kick, if you can kick that peach off the top of the tree, I'll make you a black belt. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it can't be done, sensei. And the sensei jump up and do it easy. <laughs> Three generations of sensei with the long white beard. <laughs> and he can't get a black belt. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> hey, look. <laughs> hey, if I did it on weekends, I could I could be a black belt in sixty something years. Now, you and I both know that response begged for a follow up question. No, from Frank. no follow up question. <laughs> <laughs> Not a follow-up question. I, I got to play that one more time. From this, Phil this Donahue. so obvious. What do you read mostly, Brock? Well, I'll be honest with you. I read mostly theology. Oh, really? High-level martial arts, yeah. yeah. Martial arts? The greatest books. Yeah, yeah. I, I studied for 63 years. I never got a black belt. I studied for 19 of the greatest teachers in the world. Hey, sensei, sensei, I'm, I'm 83 years old. I've been trying for 63 years. Today is the day. No. And no follow-up question from Frank Morano. Hey, the, the sensei left it in their will. And he does not get the black belt. <laughs> Even after I'm dead and gone, he, does ne- he never gets a black belt. <laughs> Sensei, I've been studying. I can walk through walls, Sensei. I can I can walk on water. Please, Sensei. Frank, no follow-up question. No two, question. In 2023, you almost there, man. You you all you almost got it. A little more seasoning. Six. <laughs> 
63 years. 63 training. years? From the 19 highest uh, uh, trainers. <laughs> you have to be light like wind. Light like the wind. You're not light like the wind yet. Oh, God. Now, this guy, check out this loser on the $1,000 one minute, uh, what I call ripoff. Ready to go? Yes, sir. What state were you born in? New York. What is my son's first name? <laughs> oh, um, I just said know. it. Starts with a C. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry, Charlie. Sorry, Charlie. It's uh, Carmine. Carmine. Carmine, yeah. I made a point of mentioning it right before the contest started. In case he was a new listener, <laughs> I might give him the black belt for this. <laughs> if he came up and did that, uh, look, Frank, why do I have to know anything personal about you to win that thousand dollars? Can you stop putting your personal information on a thousand dollar minute? Who cares? Stick to vice presidents. Stick to like like sports events. Why do I have to know your Aunt Mabel's uh, birthday? That's not fair. That's not fair, Frank. And then uh, Frank Morano is a member of SAG-AFTRA. As you know, they're out on strike. And look, listen to him mealy-mouth his way out of doing anything. They're basically trying to starve these writers out. Another, There was another incident in one of the areas where I think it's the writers and the actors are picketing. They went and trimmed the trees, an area where they never trim the trees, not this time of year anyway, so that they would have less shade and that there would be more sun on these strikers. I'm thinking of joining these uh, these actors on the picket line and and going out there. See, it's tough because it's I sleep and watch my son. But uh, I think uh, I am really fed up. Not just in movies and Hollywood, but in every industry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Black belt. Hey, this is another group of people that's suffering because of Carmine. If Carmine, if Carmine was growing out the house, Frank could go and negotiate that that strike and have everybody back at work. We could be enjoying movies and TV right now. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. It's another side of midnight. Now, WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. song epitomizes Frank Morano as the moocher of all moochers. Here's a story about Minnie the moocher. She was a low-down huge coocher. She was the roughest, toughest, frail. Minnie had a heart as big as a whale. Heidi, 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 ho! Heidi, 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 ho! 
This is like hip hop to Frank. <laughs> this is like Drake. <laughs> You're right. Drake and Jay Z. You're right. Anyway, uh, here's Frank once again trying to promote a guest book and blowing it. I hope uh, it's not so long before we speak again. Wishing you the best of luck with Halcyon. If people want to check it out, they can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. It's H-A-L-Y-C-O-N. Thanks so much for the time this morning. Oh, he couldn't um, be more hopelessly wrong with that. Frank does that. That does not spell Halcyon, Frank. And it, he doesn't pick it up. No, he right just leaves it there. He leaves it there, and then a caller's got to hammer him. Charles in... Queens has been holding for a while. Hello, Charles. Good morning. Maybe you spelled, because I want as many people to buy his book as possible. Did you spell it correctly? You know, that's a good point. Our, our, our resident program observer, uh, Ellen, pointed out that I did misspell Halcyon. See, that's what I get by not not reading as much. It's H-A-L-Y. Excuse me. Again, they I did it again. It's H-A-L-C-Y-O-N. Yes, H-A-L-C-Y-O-N. Thank I hope uh, it's not so long before we speak again. Wishing you the best of luck with Halcyon. It's on a piece of paper right in front of his face. On Amazon or wherever books are sold. It's H-A-L-Y-C-O-N. Thanks so much for the time this morning. Hey, no, and the name of the book is Calcium, everybody. Calcium. No? Oh, I got hey, no. to hear that one more time, man. <laughs> he even messes it up once he recognizes it's wrong. Charles in Queens has been holding for a while. Hello, Charles. Good morning. Maybe you spelled... He's so gracious, too. I would have called him out. ...people to buy his book <laughs> as possible. Did you spell it correctly? You know, that's a good point. Our, our, our resident program observer, uh, Ellen, pointed out that I did misspell Halcyon. See, that's what I get by not not reading as much. It's H-A-L-Y. Excuse me. Again, I just did it again. I don't know. I remember the line. It's H-A-L-C-Y-O-N. Yes, H-A-L-C-Y-O-N. Thank you, Charles. Hey, the letters, the letters on the page are just dancing around in front of his face <laughs> in different positions. And then... He's got to somehow work me in to his negativity. About 10 or 11 years ago, I was, I was working with uh, Curtis Lewa and David Patterson. David Patterson, the former governor of New York. And they were co-hosting a radio show at the time. And Curtis, one of his many romantic interests, I don't remember which wife or domestic partner this was, um, was screaming at him so much over the phone, right? I don't remember what stage of their relationship they were in at the time. Clearly, it was not a very good stage. But she was screaming that 20, 30 feet oh. away from where Curtis was sitting, I could hear this woman screaming in the phone, even though she wasn't on speakerphone. Oh. That's how loudly she was screaming. And Curtis, at one point, gets so fed up, he just throws the phone across the room. He couldn't deal with continuing to listen to this conversation. <laughs> Man, he puts my business right All out, there. out there in the street, washes your dirty clothes right in the middle of the street, man. <laughs> and then the caller, Gary from Inwood, cold bus Frank. You had mentioned earlier about that situation with Curtis and the phone call and the yelling and the screaming. Right. You talked about that last year. 
you also mentioned the party. <laughs> well, okay, so be it, so be it. I guess so be you, it. You, so on some nights, if you get me, I'm a little bit more loose-lipped than than others, right? But uh, especially anybody that has the power to indict me, Uh-oh. I am gonna Uh-oh. I'm gonna refrain Uh-oh. from Uh-oh. I'm gonna refrain from mentioning at any given point. That's wow. a clue. That's it, a clue. It puts my laundry out there, out there for everybody to see, man. And he has no shame about that. He, he broke the producer talent uh, <laughs> code, <laughs> <laughs> and then he's complaining. About his guest booker. We have a guest booker that works at our radio network. I I only met her once. Seems like a wonderful woman. She's relatively new. She started about three and a half months ago. And, you know, she's got a she's responsible for booking a lot of shows. So I'm not criticizing her at all. But in the three and a half months that she has been our here, guest here booker, we go. Oh, it's not an exaggeration. She has not booked a single guest <laughs> on the show. Not one. Not one in three and a half months. Fine. I don't mind. I book everybody myself. Fine. Frank, man, you got to take some ownership of that. You just argued with a drunken man for 10 minutes. You got to give us something to sell. <laughs> Hey, call Oprah Winfrey, see if she wants to come on and do 10 minutes. Uh, see if Oprah Winfrey's available to do the show on Thursday. Yeah, Frank, okay. I'll get right on that. Oh, and then he gets all happy because she suddenly changed the way she circulates the information so he can be on the inside instead of the outside looking in. I think she senses that I'm a little skeptical at how hard she's trying to actually book guests. So now... She's sending me the communications that she has with potential guests and their responses to these inquiries, which I'm glad because otherwise I would have had no idea. If she just crossed this off the list that I gave her of people to go after, then I would have had no idea. This is the worst. That has to be the worst job in the world to have to book for Frank Morano. He gets to see just how mediocre his show is. And she's like, here, you want to see it? Here, take it. I'm going to show you what they give me. Why? Well, did you hear from The Rock? Uh, you know, we haven't heard back from The Rock yet, Frank. I wouldn't depend on that one. Tulsi Gabbard, Tulsi Senator Gabbard, no. Cinema. Uh-uh. What about Michelle Obama? Did we hear back from Michelle Obama? No. What about Barack? No, no, Frank. I can, uh... Oh, but here's one he's complaining about, and he doesn't apologize when he finds out the reason. One of the people on my list was a, a an Olympic athlete and somebody that has a fascinating life story. That person is former heavyweight champion of the world in the world of pro wrestling, Kurt Angle. He can't help Kurt but Angle. introduce everybody. This is the response <laughs> that they wrote back to our guest booker when we asked about having him on. Thank you for your interest in Kurt. I'm his manager and can help set this up, but... Kurt does charge a fee for any interviews. His rate is $2,000 for 45 minutes. If this is of interest, let me know, and we can discuss a date and time. She's like, this is what I got to deal with all day with you. (laughs) Yeah, we'll go on, Frank, but we want 100 grand. (laughs) She don't even bother trying to keep you out of it, Frank. You want to see? Let's see. And then he throws my laundry out there again. Doug is in Manhattan. Doug, what's your question? Of all of Curtis Lee's wives and girlfriends, who just rubs you the wrong way the most? Who is the most detestable, ill-mannered, ill-tempered? 
He's had other uh, female companions that I think have been a little wacky. So if you're asking me who's the craziest, it's someone that you that you don't know. That's not a celebrity, and that he was he never talked about on the radio. And um, her name was MJ, but it, that's her. But if you're asking me who I think was the meanest to him, I think. Uh, well, look, I don't know. I don't know what w- went on in different relationships that he had over the years. He just if she wasn't famous. Why you throw her out there, Frank? God, man, what he, is it with this guy? He just put everything like he is putting your whole life out there. He's Curtis. a wash woman. <laughs> <laughs> that was Curtis. <laughs> and then. It sounded psychosexual like he was talking about his plumbing here. The problem in the back is that the hose is too thick <laughs> and it's not going through the and it's kinking in the hose, what they call the hose hideaway. And then in the front, the problem is the connection from the spout to the hose hideaway. Uh-huh. It's securely connected. Yeah. But for some reason, I think a piece, a little tiny little piece within the hose hideaway must be broken. Yeah. Because that's where it's leaking. It's leaking from the hose hideaway. The hose itself extends great. It there's no leaks in it. There's a leak in the hose hideaway. Yeah. So right now I I've taken the one in the front outside of the hose hideaway. I don't understand why we need all these hoses. But apparently we do. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, Frank. Frank is a swinger, man. He is not the talking about a garden the hose. The is that the hose is too thick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Frank is not talking about a garden hose, man. No. I don't understand why we need all these hoses. But apparently we do. <laughs> Sounds like he's getting a little homo Yeah. The hose yeah. itself extends great. It, there's no leaks in it. Uh, I'm telling you. Man, Frank. I'm telling you. When we come back. We're going to have to continue on. There are a few other items uh, of the funniest hour in all of radio involving Frank Morano. And this whole next segment actually deals with Frank Morano because he made a promise to Sid Rosenberg that if, in fact, congestion pricing becomes the law of New York City, he's quitting because he can't afford (laughs) to be paying the congestion pricing charge to leave the island of Staten Island, take the Guinea Gangplank to Verrazano Bridge, and then come here into the city. Mark my words, if there is congestion pricing, that Mama Luke, that Frank Morano, he's not willing to park his car down in the North Shore, take the ferry, take the subway, come up to the radio station like most other people have to do it. If he can't be chauffeured to and from his home in Shea Morano in the South Shore of Staten Island, that's it. He's washing his hands of it. He's like the punchiest pilot of talk radio. He's walking away from it, Avery. He's walking away from it. He had the casino. used by Curtis Sliwa is replete with spoonerisms, malaprops, and fractured phrases, and is not a reflection of the language that you should use in your normal conversations. It is Sliwanics, and a glossary of its words and definitions are posted on wabcradio.com. Hush, hush, mush, mush, mula, shmula. Furniture upstairs rearranged in all the wrong places. Your complexion is your protection. 
Check this out. On the weekend. Ufa. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Funniest hour in all of radio continues because out of nowhere, this Goldbrick, this Mama Luke, this Slacker, this Deadbeat, Frank Morano has decided to take another vacation. He averages about one every month and he comes up with every conceivable excuse in the world. So this particular time, management owner, she came up to me and said, would you substitute for Frank Morano? He's going to be away all week. And you know what my response is? Hell yes. And then they said, no, no, Frank doesn't want you to do all four hours because you'll make him look bad. Yeah. I said, I'll kick his ass because he, he, he should be in the studio doing this nationally syndicated program. Every month he's taking a vacation. So the way they resolved it, I've never heard this before in my life. It's a four-hour program, one Monday through Friday from 1 to 5. So Dominic Carter, who's on from 12 to 1, he's going to do an additional two hours. So basically 12 to 3, and then I come in to do 3 to 5. This way, it prevents me from ragging on Frank Morano for four hours. Instead, it'll just be two hours. <laughs> This is amazing. This has never been done before. Can you believe this, Avery? He, he objected because he said, oh, Curtis is going to kick my ass for four hours, whereas Dominic Carter is going to kiss my ass for two hours. Yeah, the real the real thing is, would you rather go first or would you rather go second? Oh, I really want to go first. I want to tear into him in the worst way. You want to you, you make the crowd just just, just, just for, for Dominic to come in? Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. And they said no. 
They said, no, Dominique does his 12 to 1. He's not going to sit around for two hours waiting for you while you rip you rip up Frank Morano for two hours. So he goes from 12 to 1, his normal show, then 1 to 3. Then I come in like a, I guess you could call it a, uh, I piggyback it from 3 to 5. Hey, why don't you alternate every hour? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that idea. Maybe we'll slip management and ownership of Mickey. Oh, here we go. Oh, no, well, 3 o'clock. I'll, I'll, I'll see you all now. <laughs> Hey, freeze, pause that thought right there. I'll be right back in an hour. My God, what a gold brick. What a deadbeat. What a slacker. Another vacation. Now, now, we know where he's going. He's actually talked about this. Atlantic City and Cape May. And he's chatting up hookers and escorts. And, oh, my God, this guy is a perv. I don't see a lot of escorts on the hanging out on the street very often. You do see them. He's looking. But uh, I don't see them as much as I did even 20 years ago. Where you do see escorts is in all the hotel bars. Every single hotel bar, from the nicest one to the shadiest one, after I'd say about 11 p.m. Uh, from... You know, sir, almost every night, but certainly on the weekend, if you see hey, an write this attractive down. woman or semi-attractive woman <laughs> sitting by herself at a bar and uh, looking like she wants to chat you up, there is a better than even chance that she is an escort. Oh, uh, my God. I like how you didn't use names in the first part. He wanted to say, I don't see Candy outside anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see Bridget on the corner anymore like I used to. We used to see her all the time. But oh, now, now she kind of, I don't know. What is it? I mean, it's just, and then he goes on to talk about how he was sitting at home taking care of little Carmine in Shea Murano when, oh, boy, United States Postal Service guy arrived. Oh, happy day when Jesus was born. No. I don't mean to uh, brag, but I received some mail yesterday from Bally's Casino, and they have informed me that I have now achieved superstar status, which I am very pleased about because I like playing at Bally's. They have ten times craps odds at the, at the craps table, and they have a revolving bar. Cool. It's a rotating bar, which is where I may hang out a bit on uh, Sunday afternoon. Yeah, you got you got ten times more opportunity to lose Carmine's uh, college tuition. <sighs> you got ten times more opportunity like <laughs> to lose the house. Oh man, <laughs> they love this is the, this is the this is the person you don't want to, to call you a superstar. <laughs> Nobody else calls you a superstar except for the one who wants to just break you and take all your money. Right. No sleep for the Frankster. <laughs> <laughs> no sleep. And then he goes on about his uh, superstar status. Yesterday, I went to my Aunt Camille's. I got the call that there was a new batch of... So what does superstar status get me? It gets me complimentary resort fees, which I love. I hate those resort fees. Also, <laughs> VIP lounge access. I love those VIP yeah, come, lounge. Come on in, Morano. Uh, VIP hotel check-in. I like that. Complimentary valet parking, only Thursday through Saturday. And um, that's pretty much it. So I am looking forward to that VIP lounge access. Thank you, Bally's. I used to be a, a higher level at a lot of the other casinos, but um, I, you know, I haven't played enough to keep it up. So I'm happy to be a superstar at Bally's. 
Wow. So he's happy to be a superstar at Bally's. Yeah, I can't believe that one. You know, when he walks out, <laughs> Rachel's going to grab Carmine and stand at the door so, she, so he has to pass him. <laughs> look, at, look at us, Frank. <laughs> look at what you're doing. Now. Look at us, Frank. <laughs> but then again, he gets back to that caller who said exactly what I said when management and ownership informed me that Frank Morano would be taking another vacation, which I'm looking at the calendar, averages about one every month. Jerry. Hey, Frank. I respect and like your show. I listen to it all the time. But you got to stop pleading poverty all the time. You're on vacation every other week. You're going out to restaurants every night. Be a man. You got a son now. <laughs> I want everybody to hear that one more time. <laughs> this caller, I mean, rips him a new tuchus. Frank always complaining, always moaning and groaning, always the ultimate Mama Luke. Oh, the job is so tough. Always so shaking difficult. that tin can. That's right. I got to do so much work. I got to book my own gas. Oh, woe is me. Woe is me. Jerry. Hey, Frank. I respect and like your show. I listen to it all the time. But you got to stop pleading poverty all the time. You're on vacation every other week. You're going out to restaurants every night. Be a man. You got a son now. That's right. Be a man. Oh, God. Well, anyway, I think uh, we have a real potentiality of getting rid of Frank Morano out of our, our program scheduling, out of our hair, out of our lives because of congestion pricing. He said, in fact, if you can, I need you to jump the queue here, uh, Broadway Billy, uh, to number 82. He said, after a long conversation with Sid Rosenberg over the potentiality of congestion pricing, which might mean anywhere from $15 to $28 that he gets gets hit with every time he comes into the city and goes south of 60th Street, that this might end up causing him to give up being a radio talk show host here at WABC. In essence, he's basically telling the bosses, the owner and operator, hey, if I have to schlep into the studio, that's it. I ain't making enough money. You know, you got to come up with something. You got to figure it out. If I have to spend another $15 a day for the privilege of coming to work, it's going to be very difficult for me to be able to make ends meet. So you see, he's already, it's like a ploy. Uh, Let's sit down and negotiate. Yeah, if I have to pay $15 more to come into work, it's going to be (laughs) very hard for me to play craps at at, at Bally's. (laughs) It's going to be very hard for me to bet like I want. Well, let's open up our phone lines on that. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Here's Frank getting all worked up with Sid Rosenberg over congestion pricing. Make that 78, 78. He's dogging it. First of all, it, it has, this has the congestion pricing, what they call the, what they call congestion pricing. It has nothing to do with traffic congestion because if it did have something to do with traffic congestion, they wouldn't be charging me who commutes into work at 1030 at night when there is no traffic. They wouldn't be charging me a fee to drive into Manhattan at 60th Street. Notice, it's always about him, me, I, me, not us and we, I and me, him, Frank Morano. And then it's the MTA's own study that he blames because he, again, 
is already he's fuming. He's he's getting also all- the MTA's own studies shows this is going to increase, not decrease, traffic congestion in Brooklyn, in New Jersey, in Queens, in the outer boroughs. So it it has nothing to do with traffic congestion. It just reduces traffic congestion a little bit south of 60th Street. Wow. Also, is this guy getting worked up or what? And then he talks about as if he was even considering this, the diminishment of the air quality. Make that 80. Ah, uh, he's looking. He's looking. You didn't bring your A game with you, did you, Broadway Bill Lee? He's, he's hunting. He's, uh, what, are you, what are you finding it with Braille? You got a Braille board there? Oh, my God. You know he found a study for this. If he could find a study for ice cream. He oh, hell yes. This. Hell yeah. He's screaming. He's ranting and raving what it's going to do to the air quality. He's not blaming Trudeau Jr. in Ottawa for all the smoke that's coming down from the Canadian forest fires in Quebec, in Saskatchewan, in Regina, in Winnipeg. Oh, no. He's going to write a nasty letter for this one. <laughs> <laughs> Frank will write a letter in two seconds, boy. Frank will run to his desk. And get no response. Yeah, with his, his stationery. No response whatsoever, but he sounded like he's going to go to war on congestion pricing. And probably the best thing for all of us is he is threatened that if they impose uh, uh, if they impose congestion pricing on him out in Staten Island, he's prepared to leave. He is prepared to sit at home, go barnacles on his backside, and leave talk radio because he's not going to be able to afford it. Hold on. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
maybe Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, will have to get a pair of roller skates and start roller skating down Highland Boulevard from the south shore of Staten Island across the Guinea Gangplank to Verrazano Bridge and work his way in to WABC, maybe not his place to be. Can I hear that again? I want to hear the fact that if he had to spend $15 a day, that's number 82. We might not be seeing Frank Morano any longer here if he has to pay congestion pricing. Eighty-two, eighty-two. And what's worse, this is going to, by the MTA's own estimate, this is going to cause asthma and pollution problems right. all over the Bronx, all over the outer boroughs, all over New Jersey. How do we know this? Well, because the MTA's proposed solution to this is they're going to be installing air filtration units near schools, more vegetation, and spending $25 million on an asthma treatment program due to this congestion pricing fee. So... Come on, Frank. It's not about the air quality. It's about the fact that if it does pass, and I'm telling you I'm going to do everything I can to make sure it doesn't, but you're not willing to reach deep, figure out a way that you can get to work at WABC, you'd actually give up this job. In fact, you made the pitch that it's just another tax on New Yorkers in the outer boroughs. They're acknowledging that this will make the congestion problem worse in the outer boroughs. Why do the residents of Manhattan, south of 60th Street, count more than the people that live above 60th Street and in the Bronx, Brooklyn, and Staten Island? It's a joke. It's just another tax on working-class New Yorkers. And then he dropped the gauntlet and said, if I have to spend $15 a day... It may well, you don't have 82? You played it before. My God, man. My God. (laughs) Anyway, Frank Morano is bitterly embroiled in this battle against congestion pricing because he claims he's not going to have the moolah shmoolah, the ducats, the shimolis. To be able to afford to come across that guinea gangplank every day, make his way down Highland Boulevard, across the bridge, into Brooklyn, through Brooklyn, and then into New York City to be able to broadcast to all of you. I say, if you can't do it, if you can't figure out a way to come in, then then forget about it, Frank. I mean, the easiest thing to do would be to take your car down to the North Shore, park it at the Staten Island Ferry Terminal uh, parking lot. And uh, get your car, uh, leave it right there, get on the ferry, take the ferry across, right to the Manhattan uh, side, and then take the number one train or the R train straight up to the studios here at WABC. Thousands of people do that each and every day when they're coming across in order to be able to work in Manhattan if they come from Staten Island. But he is Mr. Big Stuff. Who do you think he, he is? He's just too damn big for his britches. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to William in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, William. Hi, Curtis. Frank's pronouns are I and me. He uses those two words 25 times more than any other words in the English language. I've done a word count. No, you're absolutely correct. It's always about I and me, not us and we. And by the way, William, 
Does he expect that we're all going to cry if he decides he doesn't want to pay the bill for congestion pricing and give up his radio career? Well, he's the one who said Red Red Eye Radio is no good. Maybe you ought to go back there. Yeah. You see, I'm telling you, William, I'm telling you on this, we're going to have to throw the gauntlet down. Look, he's taking a vacation, another vacation. It's like one a month. You know, he's complaining about the job. He's a gold brick. He's a... He's just a, a malingerer, a moaner and groaner. My heart bleeds. Yeah, we, we, we're all bleeding for Frank Morano. Oh, God. Maybe we should, Maybe he's going to set up a GoFundMe. Can you imagine if he sets up a GoFundMe? Please, I can't get into work. But if you really want to hear me do the other side of midnight, please contribute to the GoFundMe page. Don't we, ask me. No, you would not. Not even a nickel, dime, a penny, William. Hell no. Oh, God. Good, good, good man, good man. Anyway, let's uh, go to uh, the next call. Uh, What happened? We're missing an action here. Where the hell did uh, uh, Oh, Here's Broadway, Bill. Uh, Back in time. Let's go to Dana, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dana. Hey, Curtis, what's going on, man? What What do you mean, what's going on? You're the one calling me. All right, well, all right, let's let's get into it. First of all, I talked to you before. I talked to you at Hot Pants, the gas station in Canarsie, where he still lives. Anyway, um, this Frank Milano, he has no goddamn material left. His show sucks. It used to be okay. It, no, no, listen, honestly, it used to be okay. Then he started eating with a stupid egg salad. Who cares about that? Who cares about Atlantic City? Who cares about his fascination with the mafia? Because, like, and cheese and, and peanut butter. Who cares? You know, I had to tune him out and go back to George Norrie. Why no, you no, no, you see, that, well, you have to understand this. Him up. You have to understand this, Dana. He was very specific when he first came on board. He said, it's like Seinfeld. It's a program about nothing, and he is the George Costanza of radio. So what you hear is what you get, Dana. What you hear is what you get. It's a bunch of bullshit. Ho! <laughs> Almost went off there. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to, um, let's go to Craig, who's calling from Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Craig. Uh-oh. I think Craig has uh, decided to do the deep dive. He's cutting Z's. Boy, this is, uh, come on, Craig. It's an insult to any talk radio show host or hostess that if you go to sleep with me, you're supposed to stay with me to the break of dawn. Break of dawn. Anyway, let's go to the audio tape in uh, conjunction and allied in solidarity with the elected officials of Staten Island. Uh, Nicole Maliotakis, uh, the congresswoman. Beto Fisella, the borough president. And Joe Borelli, the city councilman of the South Shore. They have joined in solidarity with Governor Murphy. Governor Murphy, who himself has decided that he is going to take on uh, Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb in uh, Albany and is going to actually file a lawsuit against congestion pricing. This brings me no joy because we have a very good relationship with the Biden administration, with Governor Hochul and her administration both generally and personally. But the fact of the matter is that this congestion pricing scheme uh, is going to have enormous financial impact on New Jersey commuters. 
and enormous environmental and negative environmental impact on many communities in our state. I uh, concur. And as you know, I generally do not agree with anything that half in the bag always smashed. Governor Murphy says in New Jersey, thank God he's term limited out. And, uh, you know, he loves to call everybody in New Jersey knuckleheads. But in this case, he's actually doing the right thing. I got to give him tactical air support. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Maria, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Marie. It's my turn. I love it when it's my turn. I love being next. And you, Curtis, and Avery, and yeah. Frank are my two favoritists. You're the two guys that I only really, really, really listen to. Thank so you. I'm not talking bad about Frank. Thank and, you. And you two are the – I mean, can't tell you how you and you, you're opposites. But anyway – if he was to take the ferry from Staten Island, I'm looking on the map right now. If he takes the ferry, here's a quick question. If he takes the ferry from Staten Island, drives to the ferry, gets on the ferry, gets on the subway, gets to work. He could do a lot of reading. He always says he has enough time to read all these books. He could do reading. Now, I don't know. And here's another thing. Is it less money to drive to the ferry, take the ferry, and then take the uh, subway uptown? Is it time? It, um, two questions. Like, is it time and money? Now, you know what I think he's angling for, Maria, <laughs> and this is what a lot of talk show hosts and hostesses do. They want to be able to broadcast from their homes, their bunkers, their McMansions. And I am going to lobby management and ownership to say, heavens to Betsy, no, he needs to get his butt in here and broadcast like everybody else here at WABC. That's enabled us to once again become the number one news talk station in the nation, in the world. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to uh, Oz calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Oz. Good morning, Curtis. Great show as always. Fantastic. You know, some I was listening to Frank the other night, and something really got me. In one breath, he's talking about his cat. Poor thing. It's on its last leg. He's probably not going to make it. Two seconds later, he's bragging about going away on vacation to Cape May. He's going to Atlantic City. Who leaves their cat that's dying to go to the casino? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm an animal lover. I know you are, too. Yes. I, so, you know, I was going to call him. I said, no, you know what? I don't want to break the mood of the calls. But I don't know. The more I think about it. And the more you're talking about him going down there and going to the casino and listening to him talk about his cat's dying at home. Mm. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it. No, no, no. It just just rubbed me the wrong way. It's touched a nerve with me, Oz, and many of our listeners, because I have heard from them. They heard exactly what you heard, that this callous, indifferent guy who's constantly taking, every month he takes a vacation, is going down to Camp May going to spend time in Atlantic City shooting craps at the Borgata and leaving his sick, malnutrition, yeah. unattended cat at his house. Don't talk about the cat then. Don't bring it up. You know, I mean, but if you're going to talk about it and make it seem like it's really bothering you, like, you know, the poor thing. And then two seconds later, I can't wait to go to the buffet. Yep. I can't, you know what I mean? I don't know. I just it, I'm, I didn't know everybody else felt the same way. But I thought about you because I listened to your show with your wife. 
And it's heartbreaking what I hear. Mm-hmm. And I've gone through it. I know you've gone through it many, many times. Yes. I don't know. I just wanted to say that. It no, bothered, no, no. It, you, it had to be said. It had to be said. And Frank Morano yeah. should be confronted on this. Here it is. He's I always think I will. He's always talking about he's a cat expert. He knows nothing at all about cats. It's really his wife, Rachel. And at times when people call him up and they ask him for uh, concepts, ideas, what can I do about my cat? He professes that he's knowledgeable, and you know he hates cats. He's a dog guy. He's well, a I dog tell guy. You something, Curtis. I have to get this off my chest with him next week when, whenever he comes back. Yes, I got to bring it up. You have to. You have to. I'm please. going to do it, Curtis. And tell I'm him. I'm going to do it. And tell him that I signed off on it. I gave you tactical air support. Well, listen. I promise you, I'm going to be totally 100% transparent. I'm going to let him know about the conversation you and I had. And I'm going to lay it out. I'm yep. going to tell him how I feel. Yeah, and, and and if he doesn't pay attention, we should both lay him out by busting him on his chops and knocking him out. I'll be there. <laughs> All right, Curtis. You got it, Oz. The Oz had to get, had to get that anger out. Frank, he, he instills anger in our listeners. He's going to go to Cape May. He's going to go shoot craps at the more God. In the meantime, he's leaving this poor sickly cat at home to die. Probably going to ball up in a quarter and die. What does he care when he's on a roll? Hey, hey. Oh, yeah, yeah. 6-6 six, six on the backhand side, right? 1-800-848-9222. And then there was Sid Rosenberg, who uh, was getting it on with uh, Bruce Blakeman, who was from Nassau County, the executive. You would think the Nassau County executive would be supporting his commuters his constituents, and being in solidarity against congestion pricing. Well, think again. The rumor is, is that unlike them, you are not going to fight congestion pricing. Hmm. And it's not just a rumor. Curtis was the first to bring this up. There are some that believe you're just kowtowing to the governor because you want the casino out there in Nassau County. What happened to his answers? Man, what did we do? Give it a brisk? Did we truncate it? The bottom line is Bruce Blakeman is uh, trying to cultivate favor with Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb because he wants that valued casino license, which he doesn't have a shot at getting. It's a Republican enclave. It's a red county now, not a blue county. Doesn't have a shot in hell of getting that license. But he wants to curry favor with Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb. So, in essence, he's saying he's for congestion pricing because you suckers in Nassau County, you'll stay in Nassau County. You'll spend your money in Nassau County. You'll refuse to go to Manhattan, refuse to go south to 60th Street and pay what could be anywhere from $18 to $28 as a congestion tax every time you go into Manhattan. What do Treddy Stabbing you all in the back under this misguided notion that if he doesn't clash with Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, she's going to give him the license to be able to run a casino, all-purpose casino, at the old Nassau County Coliseum. It's not going to happen, Bruce. Not going to happen. 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight now. To the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. 
Sound like uh, 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 Break Your Body Down to the Ground, the Michael Jackson song, man. There might be some thievery here. You accusing them of committing a felony larceny? Which one came out first? Of being like Red China stealing intellectual property? Which one came out first? Double Dutch Bus. Oh, well, then Michael. That's why I got my money on. Well, then Michael stole it. Whoever came out first, the other one. Let's swing. Had to be Let's the shout. pedophile on a pedestal. Michael Jackson stole his song. No doubt about it. You don't hear that in there? Nope. I don't know what you hear, black man, but this white man does not hear that in there. Let me hear that double Dutch bus. See, you problem is you got that little MJ in your head there. <laughs> You got that little pedophile on a pedestal in your head there. You don't hear that, Curtis. No, I do not hear that. Okay. So what's Mark Morano going to do? He claims he's not going to play congestion pricing, so maybe you'll have to take the express Staten Island bus down Highland Boulevard. Goes over the bridge and then into Manhattan. He'll have to catch the train. And work his way over the WABC. You think the gold brick, the slacker, the deadbeat will do that? Of course not. And where is he this week? He's going on vacation. Again. I mean, how many vacations can one person take? And now they're not even going to let me do all four hours, which I normally would do. I'm so pissed at that. They're actually giving the four hours a brisk. They're cutting it in half. 
So Dominic Carter, who's on from 12 to 1, will do the next two hours, 1 to 3, and then I come in from 3 to 5. Now, how does that make any sense? I'm not even, two hours doesn't even warm me up. I know what this was done, and this was done specifically so that I would not be ragging on Frank Morano for all four hours. Instead, they truncated down to two hours. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jimmy, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jimmy. Hey, Curtis, one eight hundred eight hundred. 800 I'm not, you got me all confused. I thought I had the wrong number. <laughs> hey, you might have called that number, and it turns out it was a porno hotline. <laughs> no, I really got off your guard. I said, hey, where am I? Yes, yes. Well, listen, Curtis. Um, you and Avery, I just got to do a shout out to my friend Edia in Manalapa, New Jersey. She works all week long and she makes sure she stays up and listens to your whole show every time you two guys are on. And she loves Avery. And that's the truth. Now, about poor Frank Morano, Miss Skeeno, if I had to, I would drive him to work because we're both Staten Island residents, you know. And I got the pass that I get laid. I pay about $3 each way. And as far as uh, Hokum and Bucky Beaver out there in Jersey, <laughs> they're no good. You know what they want? They, they don't, as you proved, in, uh, Curtis, nobody cares about us American Mamelukes. Nobody. They just want to ingratiate their pockets, as you say, that pocket line. And I don't know how you say it, but. Wine, dine, and pocket line. I bet I'm in, but that's true. Good. Thank you. And now I got to tell you, nobody cares about us. If we drop dead left and right, get thrown in front of trains, buses, or whatever, no one cares. Hokum, first of all, she belongs on the box of Frost, uh, the Lucky Charms, and the other Bucky Beaver out there belongs in a damn chewing wood. They're no good. They've never been any good. And this one came in, Hokum, like she knew everything about New York. Go to Albany. Stay where she was. Buffalo, where was she when all those people died in the storm? Look, she said that when she looks out of her kitchen window, she can see the province of Ontario from her home in Erie County. (laughs) Like the other one who could see Russia. Yeah, Sarah Palin, the former governor of uh, Alaska. By the way, Jimmy, do me a favor. Do not make that offer to Frank Morano because this guy guy has alligator arms. So you're going to (laughs) promise. You're going to promise to drive him to work, and he's probably going to want you to come and pick him up. You know, and bring him back home. He'll claim, oh, well, Carmine needs to see me. You know, Rachel's got to go to work herself. And he'll milk he it. He's got the He's got the little baby. Rachel's busy trying to run away from him. You know, I mean, you know, it's not easy being Frank Morano, but he's a dynamite guy, and I do enjoy his show. I know, I know, but, but look, I don't want to see him take advantage of you because he is a schnorrer of the worst type, Jimmy. And he will take advantage of your generous offering to drive him to work and drive him back on your dime. And this guy has alligator arms. Let me tell you something. If all of a sudden you say, hey, Frank, uh, could you give me like $2 this week? Uh, It's been a little tough. He'd look at you like you were asking him to kill somebody. 
Wait, Curtis, does that like uh, beer pockets with champagne taste? Yes, yes, Frank. I'm telling you, (laughs) Frank Morano has the smallest alligator arms I've ever seen in my life. This is what he does, Jimmy. He invites people to brunch. He says, oh, we're putting together the Frank uh, Morano brunch. And people come. And then halfway through the brunch, he opens up his phone. He acts like he's getting an emergency call from Rachel about Carmine. Carmine's running a fever. She may have to take him to Staten Island University Hospital. He says, I'll be right back if I can be back. But in the meantime, enjoy yourself. Enjoy the brunch. I got it. I got it covered. Then all of a sudden, an hour later, Frank calls him, I'm sorry, I'm stuck here with Rachel and Carmine, and then he hangs up, and then they get the bill, and they're clipped. They're clipped. You don't know how many, how many times he's done this, Jimmy. People know his routine. They say, no, 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 I've been down that road before with you. My povero di Cristiano, povero di, let him, let him do what he's got to do, but let me tell you something, Curtis, you and Avery, your aces in my book. I, I met you. I love you. I think you're a dynamite Well, well, guy, well, well we, we may be aces, but Frank Morano, he's the joker card. <laughs> Beware, ladies and gentlemen. Beware. He's the joker's card. Let's go to Tom in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Hey, Curtis. Uh, you know, this Frank uh, Morano show, you know, uh, is this an experiment in radio or something? I mean, who cares about the minutia of this guy's life? I mean, that's all you hear on the show is like, you know, like, yeah, Rachel and uh, Carmine and Carmine eating cat food. I mean, what parent allows the kid to eat cat food? Come on. Just, uh, I just don't get Frank Morano. I don't get his... Uh, the way he says false and and these other words that he has his own uh, uh, pronunciation for. And uh, I think the guy's an idiot, you know? Yeah, well, not only that, but he's a guy who's getting over like a fat rat, Tom. Can you believe it? How many times has he taken a vacation before? Oh, yeah, I know. He disappears all the time. All the time. He's he's got some uh, deal worked out with those people. I think his show is like an experiment. It's like a new thing in radio. I never heard any nonsense like I hear from him. Well, when he uh, uh, when know. he came in uh, and met with our owner operator um, uh, and also our president of Red Apple Media, our parent company, Chad Lopez. And uh, obviously, John Katsimatidis, he said in in auditioning, he said, I'm going to be the George Costanza of radio. This program is going to be just like Seinfeld's was, a program about nothing, and it's going to have a long run. And naturally, they said to themselves, John Katsimatidis and Chad Lopez, wow, can you imagine? This will be like uh, this will be like Seinfeld on the radio. Well, he's been a dollar short the day late on this, I'll tell you that much. And he won siestas. Siestas, that's right. He was. <laughs> the guy is a gold brick. one 800 Let's go to Brandon in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Brandon. Hi, Curtis. I couldn't agree with Oz Moore, what he's doing to that poor cat. Uh, Melchizedek is just a crime. And uh, with Jerry, too, about him always complaining about money. I mean, there are people out there that are really struggling and 
can't afford to take a vacation. He's there crying on the radio. It's it's uh, nauseating. Now, in fact, I want you to listen to uh, what one of his critics had to say about Brandon, him constantly taking vacations. Jerry. Hey, Frank. I respect and like your show. I listen to it all the time. But you got to stop pleading poverty all the time. You're on vacation every other week. You're going out to restaurants every night. Be a man. You got a son now. Right, right, Brandon. He's got, he's got a man up. He does. He has to man up. Jerry nailed him. And uh, I want to know what's going to happen with Frank being on vacation. Are we going to get Avery to do like a like a clips from the cutting room floor or uh, greatest hits? Wow. Of the yeah, yeah. I never, yeah, yeah. Avery, what are we going to do if Frank Morano is on another vacation? How do we handle this same time, same place next week? How do we handle that, Avery? Uh, Avery's coming up with some kind of thought process here because, remember, uh, Brandon, as Dominic Carter finishes his own show Monday through Fridays, 12 midnight to 1, then he's going to do a continuous two hours, and that'll be the three. Then I come on for two hours, three to five. And so uh, I just don't know what's going to happen if we're going to have enough firepower to do uh, another bisection and dissection of the missing in action, the guy will be hiding Frank Morano. Mm. <laughs> Very good. <Yeah. laughs> that was a, that was a great segment tonight. By no the way, sleep to, uh... for the Frankster. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, Brandon. Let's go to Joe in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joe. Yes, good evening, good evening, good evening. Hello, Eric Curtis. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. I, I, I just uh, just woke up. I was on the couch. But anyhow, uh, Frank's a gambler, you know. He's uh, gambling, and uh, the other caller said it's an experiment in uh, live uh, radio. So uh, I want to just uh, go on the other side and say uh, I defend Frank for a couple of things. I've been listening to him for a few, few, whatever, years he's been on, two years, three years, anyhow. Uh, he sent me up to New York, up in Kingston, with the uh, Occupy Peace People movement rally, and uh, he, uh, once in a while, gives you a good uh, taste of reality, and uh, I, I even think I saw a UFO 20 years ago. Mm. So <laughs> mm, mm. I just want to put that in the, uh, in the bank for you and uh, say uh, I'd listen to you more, but, uh, of course, Frank gives you some tidbits. Yep, well, I will tell you this. Uh... I, I've never heard of this before in my life, Joe. Normally, one person comes in and they are the substitute for the other person, who in this case is a gold brick, deadbeat slacker taking another vacation down in Cape May only to go at nights to shoot craps at the Borgata and lose, lose everything, lose his shirt. But he's the one who insisted to management and ownership to Curtis not be able to do all four hours of his show Monday through Friday, which would mean a total of 20 hours, but instead do two hours. So, again, I never heard this before, ever. Dominic Carter is going to do his hour show, 12 to 1. Actually, in a few hours, he comes back. It's uh, still Sunday. He's going to do 11 to 1. We've all been moved up an hour. So I come back. I'm on from 8 to 10 talking about the news of the day and actually taking your phone calls. And then uh, Nancy is on with the Animal Welfare Hour. That's on from uh, 10 to 11. 
Then it gets back into a normal cycle of news talk and information, which means Trump is God, Biden sucks, and Hunter Biden uh, is a double D scratchiata. I know, I've heard it a million times. But we're going we're gonna to end up splitting the time. Dominic is going to end up going from uh, uh, 1 o'clock to 3, and then I'm going to go from 3 to 5 before I have to throw off the... Uh, the microphone to uh, the news director, who I might add, Noam Layden, I defended your honor a few hours ago. I mean, I, I went to the mat for you. I was ready to take a shiv to defend your honor. It may well have been the worst mistake I've ever made in my 35 years of a broadcasting career because you didn't even appreciate it. He walks in here, doesn't say, hey, man, thanks. You had my back there. No, no, no. I'm a news guy. Yeah, you better be careful, Noam. I had your back. I covered your back. I went out of my way to ingratiate myself. Not to you. That'll never happen. But to our audience. By letting them know that, hey, we got the best news and information package of any news station. There's no doubt about it. But I still got beef with Noam Layden. You don't want to miss it. I'm back at 8 o'clock, 8 to 10, and I do the news cycle with your phone calls. And then 10 to 11, uh, the show that I do that has the most calls, the most interest, the most participation, the Animal Welfare Hour with my wife, Nancy. And then, oh, yeah, then I start to cycle all over again. The bifurcated Frank Morano show from 3 to 5. And then 705 with Sid, and then the Rip and Read from 12 to 1. That's what you get on WABC.